Xerxi is through here. He waits for the support of Ndoy. Xerxi sets himself and gets the equaliser. He just rolled it in, but he did so with so much composure. Hello, hello, you beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 95, and we are hosts Matt and Jake. We've got a lot to talk about um, in match day 8 of Serie A. A significant match day, a lot of happenings um, leading into this international break, naturally. Our goal of the week this week was Xerxi with a great finish and a cool head um, against Inter. He completely wiped out three defenders um, with his first touch and just casually rolled it into the bottom corner, leaving Sommer rooted to the spot um, from outside the area. Oh, but guys, how how didn't you uh, choose Lautaro as your goal of the week? Spectacular goal, spectacular striker, uh, 10 goals in his first um, eight matches of the season, becoming the third Inter player to ever do that in history. Um, however, you often see a player who shoots from distance and the shot is, it, it turns out to be a good shot. Not taking away anything from the technique, yeah. but the technique which was showcased by Xerxi against Inter's three centre-backs over there was yeah. beautiful. It had me screaming, man. Absolutely. We've seen the likes of Vincent Company score goals similar to Lautaro's. Have you ever seen Vincent Company score a goal similar to that Xerxi goal? Very well put, bro. Perfectly put. <laughs> Perfectly put. Hon- honorable mentions are, of course, Lautaro Martinez and Colpani, bro. Colpani. Colpani. Bit of Messi here and there. How with that goal? He's got, he's got it. Huh? He's a good player, man. He's scored most of Monza's goals yeah. this season. It's crazy. If you look at, like, if they scored, um, let's say they scored eight goals. Uh, well, let's say they, let's say they scored six goals. He would have scored like four of them, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. mental. Yeah. I don't have the actual stat, guys. Apologies for that. But Colpani has scored the majority. Uh, of I would Monza's say he's on goals. three or four goals. Um, their all-time top scorer is Carlos Augusto in Serie uh, last season. He got six goals. So Colpani could totally become the all-time Serie A top scorer this season. Yeah, if he keeps playing that way, then he, he's going to do that within the next five match days w- without a doubt, man. Yeah, definitely. Don't uh, forget... Sorry, you were going to say? No, I was going to do the exact same thing. Oh, right. Fantastic. We're, we're in sync. We're supposed to bounce off each other, but instead we're turning into each other with this podcast. Um, don't, don't forget, forget to... <laughs> Don't forget to follow us guys on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter and YouTube where we post all of our fun content with short little snippets, entertaining snippets I would say and informative snippets from these episodes Um, and give us a rating wherever you're listening on your favorite podcasting platforms. Again, we're on 4.9 on Spotify and we would really like to get that number up to 5. We've also got Patreon if you'd like to uh, support our content. Um, So yeah, you also get to join our Fanta League for next season if you do that. How did you do last week in Fanta? I was a man down, brother. I have a defensive crisis with injuries. Um, I was a man down at the back, but fortunately I got enough goals and I came 1-1 against the Renegades. The Renegades are a team, for those of you who do not know, who, who led by Taco, a.k.a. Lewis, um, who drafted every single player for just one credit after the auction was done and somehow managed with a decent team. He's got the likes of Sole, he's got the likes of... Um, Cristante Cristante Derun A few random players Like that Who apparently Have been playing very well Yeah Yeah I In case You you wanted to ask Following my 6-1 dismantling Of of Lewis Who you've just Drawn to Naturally I've now dismantled Allen Another day one I'm just Demolishing the day ones From now Um it's upsetting. 
Um, but 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 yeah, four one against against Allen. Yeah, good 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 performance. I'm in third. I've got the most points. Um, naturally, the the accumulated points and not the points of victories. Um, and I'm two points behind um, Mintoff and Luca, I believe. Yeah, um, you're a tough tough cookie, my brother. Yes, but sir. there are some other tough cookies in the league. Who have this- a man down. Yes, um, I wasn't referring to myself. It was Bianconeri, bruisers and warm benchers. Um, unfortunately, my defense is shambolic right now. This week in Serie A, Kanye West was in the stands watching Genoa Milan, where there were two goalkeeping red cards, one of which left, led to Giroud having to step in goal and saving Milan through a spectacular save in the dying moments of the match on an onrushing Puskas. Um, he was even picked as the goalkeeper of the week and his shirts were sold out. Um, his goalkeeper shirts, my dad, on the official website. Yeah. So safe to say Milan made a... Made a bit of money from this one. Bravissimi, bravissimi. Very good. He's also included in FIFA's ultimate team. If you, any of you give a fuck about that. Mm. Um, On Milan's he, website, he's listed down as a goalkeeper. Yeah, well, right. Which no. is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's not every day you get something. I just might as well have fun with it. Yeah. Fiorentina demolished champions Napoli in front of their fans in a dominant display. This led to Rudy Garcia's job being in jeopardy, leading to links such as Conte and Gianpaolo. However, Conte has um, shut it down quickly on Instagram. Um, he said that he wants to spend some more time with his family um, so that leaves Gianpaolo as a likely candidate yeah, it um, could be a pain in the ass behind closed doors <laughs> yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll see I don't see Conte and ADL being a sustainable relationship to be honest no yeah Gianpaolo is more of that yes man um, but that would be the end of, of Napoli um, especially <laughs> if he picks up from where he left off because after Milan you know I mean granted he got a bad name at Milan Gianpaolo but um, he did do well with Sampdoria prior to that he had a very 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 good season with them but after that he never managed to recover from his poor stint at Milan we also had um, Victor Osimhen stepping up to take a penalty and score following the entire saga that happened last week. The Derby della Mole took place against Torino. That was lovely. And it didn't take till the last second of the game for that game to be decided. No. Bonaventura was called up to the Italian national team um, thanks to Luciano Spalletti who has compared him to Real Madrid's Jude Bellingham <laughs> saying that Bonaventura can be that guy to insert himself and to get them that... Um, that gold yeah. that they need. <laughs> Crazy comparison over there. Yeah, but love. Uh, I just love Spalletti and I love Bonaventura and I hope they do great things together. Yeah, same man. Fagioli, this is the latest. Fagioli has been caught red-handed illegally betting. <laughs> um, yeah, he might be banned for three years potentially. That's um, Juve's golden boy over there. Absolutely heartbreaking for Juve fans yeah. over there. Yeah, he's so young, he really doesn't need to be doing that shit. He's got such a bright future ahead of him. Not at all, right? I mean, <laughs> he makes way more than we do, and we don't bet that much. Yeah. <laughs> Salernitana sacked coach Sousa following a winless start in eight matches, and they replaced him with Pippo Anzaghi. Oi, 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 oi. Pippo Anzaghi sempre con noi. Yes. Um, Pippo Anzaghi um, is the new Salernitana manager. That's mental. It's like they're almost trying to go all 38 games without a win. (laughs) (laughs) He's always done well in Serie B. Serie B, sorry. Mm -hmm. But has actually not done very well in Serie A um, historically. Milan have gone top of the table following Inter's draw to Bologna and that dramatic game against Genoa. Yeah. 
yeah, and them, I mean, deja vu Milan going top thanks to um, Inter dropping points to against Bologna. Bologna. Right? Yeah. yeah. Fast forward to uh, who was it? Sansone and Radu, right? Yeah. I believe Sansone scored, and it was Radu's mistake. Yeah, Radu's mistake yeah. that led to uh-huh, that that beautiful Scudetto. Um, <laughs> Yeah, best best year of my life. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll just do the rundown for all of you guys commuting that don't have time to listen to all of this or just want to get a quick catch up before we get into the details. So it was league leaders Napoli um, that hosted Fiorentina. Fiorentina absolutely blew Napoli out of the water with the score of 3-1. Um, Lazio hosted Atalanta in another dramatic affair with Lazio getting away with a 3-2 victory. So many big games um, in this match day. Uh, Inter 2, Bologna 2 Inter were, Inter started really quick They were 2-0 up uh, within the first 15 minutes However, Bologna fought back um, With a decimated team uh, full of injuries Genoa 0, Milan 1 and Probably one of the craziest games um, I've watched in a fucking while Seeing Giroud uh, wearing Manian's kit And Superman saving um, That Puskas strike was absolutely Absolutely brilliant And the highlight of the season so far Juve 2, Torino 0 in the Derby della Mole, despite not having Chiesa and Vlaovic in their team. Cagliari 1, Roma 4. The combination of Dybala and Lukaku is just ridiculous. At this point, they look so good together. Lecce 1, Sassuolo 1 in a rather, rather tight affair over there. Monza 3, Salernitana 0 with a brilliant goal by Colpani, which we mentioned earlier. And um, the sacking of Susa, which we also mentioned earlier. Frosinone 2, Verona 1, Frosinone looking like such an attacking team and they've, they've kept it up for 8 matches now. Sule had an absolute masterpiece of a game over here. And the last game was a nil-nil draw between Empoli and Udinese. What a fucking week, bro. What a week. Every game that we're going to speak about right here is one to write home about. Like, And I can't wait to get into everything. Yeah, they were all bangers, man. I don't know how we're going to do this in under two hours, but we'll oh, see. Oh, man. We, we, we should, you know, we should do what we do every time. We really take our time in the beginning getting getting into all the details and then needing to rush the end yeah, a little yeah, bit. For our poor, poor listeners, I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> by the end of the podcast, we're all talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're paused. We've got 30 seconds to go on. You're like, bro, I bet I could read the lineups on the 30 seconds. I'll do it in five. <laughs> Really? But shall we, brother? We shall, we shall. That's what we're here for, guys. This is what we love doing. And I am thrilled to start this episode off with Napoli 1, Fiorentina 3. Napoli were coming off a 4-0 away victory to Lecce and a midweek 3-2 home loss to Real Madrid in what was another banger of a match with a banger of a goal by Valverde towards the end, which ended up going down as a merit own goal. Fiorentina coming off a 3-0 will to Cagliari and a midweek 2-2 home draw to Ferencvaros in the Conference League. Coming into this game, Napoli had kept a clean sheet in four of their last six home matches against Fiorentina in Serie A. Safe to say it wasn't the same case over here. And Fiorentina had only won one of their last six Serie A matches against Napoli. Both sides came into this match tied on 14 points. Amir Rahmani, Juan Jesus and Pierluigi Gollini were still out of action, while Oliver Christensen, Dodo, Yerimina and Castrovilli didn't make the trip and Nico Gonzalez was only fit for the bench. For Napoli, Andrew Di Garcia, it was a 4-3-3 with Alex Merritt in goal and the backline of Oliveira, Nathan, Ostegaard and Di Lorenzo. Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa formed the midfield three with Gvaratskelia and Politano flanking the formidable Victor Osimen. 
It was a 4-2-3-1 for Italianos Fiorentina with Terracciano on goal and the backline of Coyote, Martinez, Milenkovic and Parisi. When I say Martinez, naturally I'm referring to Martinez Quarta. Um, Arthur and Duncan in the double pivot over there with Icone out on the right, Brecal out on the left and Bonaventura playing behind in Zola. Now, Napoli threatened in the fifth minute of the match, but Terracciano uh, denied De Lorenzo's close-range strike by tipping it over the bar. Um, and in the seventh minute, Fiorentina opened the scoring, and it was through Brecalo, who slotted in through the legs of Meret from an immensely tight angle with a slight touch from De Lorenzo on the way in, which must have helped it a little bit. However, the goal was awarded to Brecalo. Um, the ball fell to Brecalo after Martinez Quarta struck the inside of the post with a half volley, which I don't think he knew much about. It seemed to hit him and then hit the post. Um, it was an initial cross by Jack Bonaventura that started this dangerous situation. This was Brecalo's first goal for Fiorentina. Hopefully for him, first of many. In the 23rd minute, Ossiman uh, scored, but it was disallowed due to an offside. And in the 32nd minute, panic mode was on for Rudy Garcia as Anguissa was replaced by Raspadori, removing a central midfielder to bring, in, to bring on an attacking player. In the 50th minute, but still in the first half, uh, Osimen netted from the spot. He actually, yes, Victor Osimen stepped up to take a penalty after that entire saga. Um, he didn't step up in the previous three, which were allocated to Zielinski and Politano. Um, it probably had something to do with him actually winning the penalty after he was brought down by Terracciano in the area following an incredibly risky move by Parisi where he attempted to chest the ball back to the keeper with Osimen lurking around the area. Bit of a rookie mistake over there. The Nigerian smashed the penalty into the back of the net with no chance for Terracciano, who tracked it down but couldn't do much more than that. It was half time. We're chilling on the sofa watching the game naturally and we receive a text from a friend and a patron a patron of our podcast alan who messaged us this quote hot take napoli and garcia got lucky with that goal subbing in raspadori instead of caio stored them was a mistake there's too much space between the lines and lobotka prefers short passes it looked good for three to four minutes but when viola was able to pressure them deep and napoli struggled to get out their build-up play is suffering hard now, and Ostegard is probably the least useful person on the planet playing it out from the back. And he said this, and I quote, I will laugh so hard if they sub out Politano or something and bring Cayuste in to get more balance. Icona struck the post in the 50th minute, following some great play by Onzola, and in the 57th minute, Politano was subbed out for Cayuste. That is the kind of ball knowledge you get on our group chat. Fucking hell, man. If you're a patron. Fantastic stuff what by Alan over there. We lost our fucking minds yeah. when it actually happened. Like, oh my God, he called it. He, he predicted it. the man he'd take out as well. The, the same profile coming on. He's right. Literally. I mean, he left a massive hole in the middle. Alan, I'm happy for you, brother. <laughs> I'm really happy that you managed to call that. I wish it was me. But, yeah. <laughs> Moments later, Fiorentina once again underestimated the sheer pace and determination of Victor Osimen, as this time Ekone, or Jorko, directed his throw-in back to Milenkovic once again with Osimen lurking. Obviously, Osimen managed to get there um, and ended up clean through on goal, but Terracciano stopped the Nigerian in a one-on-one -on -one situation very convincingly. 
In the 63rd minute, Fiorentina made it 2-1 through Giacomo Bonaventura. It was a tackle by Oliveira on Duncan, uh, which guided the ball straight to Bonaventura, who ended up with just the goalkeeper to beat in a clear goal-scoring opportunity. With the form the Italian veteran is in, there was absolutely no missing. He slotted the ball neatly into the bottom corner, leaving Alex Meret rooted to the spot. Bonaventura's form has also led him um, to get his national team call-up. Jude Bellingham! There were substitutions for both sides in the from between the 70th and 80th minute. Fiorentina naturally looking to sit back and get some fresh legs on, whilst Napoli were looking to get more offensive. In the 93rd minute, however, it was Fiorentina that sealed the deal, making it 3-1 through substitute Nico Gonzalez, who has just returned from injury, through an assist by Parisi, who made the mistake earlier on um, when Osimhen won the penalty. Bonaventura expertly found Parisi down the left wing who whipped in an early low cross to substitute Nico Gonzalez who knocked the ball in well. Bonaventura was involved everywhere was, over here. Yeah, I think every goal I read out yeah. started with Bonaventura did this or Bonaventura did that. Um, but it just seems that aside from Bonaventura, the Fiorentina individuals are on such hot form at the moment. You look at Nico Gonzalez... Um, you look at uh, Bonaventura, you look at Martinez Quarta, you look Arthur. at Rachano, you Very look good. at Arthur, yeah. you look at Duncan, who's yeah. been really good. Um, you look at Parisi played well as well. Parisi, apart from that mistake that, yeah. that he made, Cayode is playing really well. It's just everything is ticking for this Fiorentina team. They are playing such an offensive brand of football with such high pressure. What do you make of this game? And what do you make of this Fiorentina side so far? So, this was the best game. We've seen in Serie A this season. Yeah. I think it was high octane, high velocity, high intensity. It was end to end. It was fantastic, right? Um, I do think that Italiano outcoached Rudy Garcia. 100 million percent. Um, and then I, that thing that Alan said as well of the taking out Anguissa and then having to bring on Kaiusta to make up for your mistake that you made, yeah. that's like a rookie mistake. You know what I mean? That's so obvious. That's such an obvious mistake. That's like a like a twelve year old playing yeah. football manager. Yeah. Without being too harsh. I really like the way Italiano set up. Um last season he was he was kind of getting a bit found out and they were struggling to score and then transition was taking them a little bit long. But now it seems like Martinez Quarta's inserting himself in certain offensive transitions. And that he's never picked up, man. He's never yeah. picked up. Even in this game he found himself in the box he shot I think he hit the post he hit the post yeah yeah he yeah, hit yeah. the post that, that led to the to, to yeah. Brecalo's opener exactly yeah so they were just everywhere man and they couldn't deal with them you know and Jack Bonaventura the form he's in wow Kyoda looks looks bloody good as well once these guys especially the youngsters shake off the rust you know because Kyoda and Parisi are kind of rusty they're still making mistakes yeah. and Fiorentina overall are still making mistakes at the back once they fine-tune that, they can be top. They're one of the best teams in the league, right? Oh, for sure. And, and and I draw comparison to Milan and their style of play so far in the sense that they are so offensive and they press so high up the field that these holes that you mentioned in the defence because of the, the certain rusty players that have just come in, um, they don't get exposed that much because they're, they're so high up the field. They're, they're carrying so much position that it's their opponents that are constantly in, in defensive situations and not... Fiorentina um, in fact maybe Napoli had two or three clear-cut opportunities they really didn't didn't get many opportunities yeah I mean um, statistically Napoli had 16 shots but only four of them were on target with one mm. of them hitting the woodwork um, that's compared to Fiorentina's 12 shots with three of them on target 
Yeah, obviously the the nature of the shots and then if, if you were to, to watch this yeah. game and the quality of the shots weren't um, any, anywhere close to Fiorentina's. Um, but you mentioned naturally Italiano outcoaching Garcia. So it to me, um, Garcia's got a lot to learn about the league. Um, I, I, I can't judge him too much because he does have a history that, that is rather successful, maybe in questionable um, areas of the world where, where football is played maybe the quality over there is, is questionable but mm. I'm sorry <laughs> his, his, his substitutions and, and his style of play just really doesn't seem up to scratch for a team that he has killed the enthusiasm and the play of a team that just convincingly won the Serie A by a landslide and he's coming and, and, and it seems like he's absolutely destroyed that style of play and he's destroyed that formidable Napoli team that just constantly want to get forward. It doesn't seem like he knows how to utilize his players yet. He's bringing on fuck knows who, man, every every now and then. It just seems like every everything he's doing is questionable. Um, do you think that sacking him so early on would be a good decision by Napoli? Hard to say. Sometimes obviously. I... I look at these situations and I wonder what the president was expecting, you know, mm. was, was De, La- De Laurentiis expecting um, Rudy Garcia to come in and just win every game? Was well. he expecting him to pick up from where Spalletti left off? Because they're not the same profile and if you ask a manager to come in and to just copy and paste the, what was left behind, that's not how managers roll, that's not how high profile managers it roll. It almost seems like that's what he tried to do, it's like he... Um, ignored any manager that doesn't play a 4-3-3 formation, for example. He was looking at, at someone who has a very similar profile to Spalletti. Yeah, but it's totally different at the same time. You know, we talk about Lobotka being the, fo- the focal point of, um, of Spalletti's system, whereas Rudy Garcia likes to play through the fullbacks. You look mm-hmm. at, for example, Di Lorenzo had as many touches as Lobotka. Mm-hmm. You know, as many passes, sorry, yeah. not touches. But uh, yeah, then you have Oliveira on 45, for example. What's Oliveira doing for making 45? Why is he seeing the ball so much? You know what I mean? And then these guys advance, and then you have Icona and Brecolo, and not to mention Bonaventura and the pocket, attacking the space left behind from the mm-hmm. fullbacks. And mm-hmm. then, then that's a bit... I don't know. It's not perfect, is it? Ah, no, it, 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 it seems like he's trying to do something that's very systematic, that leaves little room for these players to be expressive. And, and if there's one thing that got Napoli far last year, it was the individual quality um, and the confidence that, that the squad grew together. It was this individual quality and, and, and players bringing out the best of each other and understanding each other. But through this really like systematic, almost disciplined style, um, that that Garcia's utilizing it's just killing the the ability and the almost the pace yeah. of the team when was the last time we saw Napoli attacking down space because they're not creating space they're, they're not That's catching true. teams on the counter um they're killing the game they're playing a boring brand of football maybe I'm saying that because they haven't quite boring, hit it off yet you yeah. know but with their lack of success it almost comes across that way I mean they gave Real Madrid a very very good game in Europe perhaps they got a penalty that they didn't quite deserve mm. Napoli but um, that was still a very good game and I still think it's unjust to sack a manager eight games in now granted okay it's a title defense and all that but I'm sorry Mr. President <laughs> you sacked the coach because he you refused to give him what he asked for to meet his demands and, and you brought this up 
on yourself, you know? Mm. Um, if you're going to replace him, you have to you have to break the bank if you want to replace him yeah. adequately. Yeah. So you bring in a manager, okay, from Saudi Arabia, who previously had managed Marseille. I believe he had done quite well in Marseille as well, going quite far in Europe as well. Um, but it's not the same type of caliber of manager. And now they're probably going to end up downgrading even further. So Rudy Garcia's out, for sure. You know, he's made up his mind, De Laurentiis. And if he's made up his mind, there's no going back now. Um, Contest said no. And now apparently that leaves Gianpaolo. Now you're going to bring in Gianpaolo, who's uh, <laughs> who's practically infamous at this mm. point. Mm. Granted, okay, he had a brilliant team at Sampdoria. And granted, they were they were fantastic. You know, he made Quagliarella at his... At the age of like 30, uh, what was he, 37, 38? Yeah, something like that. Ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo, dude. Yeah. That was Gianpaolo. Mm. And now, <laughs> you know, he's not quite the same. And no, now he's no. interested, you know, bring him into Napoli. I can't help but think um, that, that a manager who has the style of play that would really suit Napoli, but good luck getting him out of Germany, mm-hmm. is Xabi Alonso. Xabi Alonso. You look at Leverkusen's Xabi Alonso and the, the brand of football that they play is so positive um, and the enthusiasm that they have um, and the spirit that the team has just reminds me of Napoli last year. Not as dominant, I guess. It's still early days for, for young Xabi Alonso. Um, but but I don't know. I get the feeling that that would work really well. But again, good luck getting him out from getting him Matthias, out of Germany. Matthias um, suggested, well suggested, he mentioned the idea that um, Napoli should probably go for a Spanish coach. Oh. The style fits well. Yeah. You know, possession. Yeah, Matthias, that, that, that means a lot. Matthias yeah. got great ball knowledge. So... <laughs> I'm pleased with that. Like, what's his name? Lopetegui? Lopetegui? Lopetegui. I can never say his Lopetegui. name. Lopetegui. Lopetegui. He was the, the Spain manager that had gotten sacked because he accepted the Real Madrid job oh, just yes. before the World and Cup. And then he didn't influence. do very well with Real Madrid, right? Poor, poor He got sacked instantly and they, I believe they brought Ancelotti in. Um, let's just talk a bit about Fiorentina before we move on. Um, wow. Wow. Like, what a team. Yeah. What a team. Um their aggressive pressing um, really caused Napoli to struggle when it comes to build-up play. They limited their options. Um, Lobotka was never in space because they were just there pressing high up the field. Man, oh man, can, can, can Italiano can, can Italiano organize a team? And can Italiano get the best out of his players? What what a team Fiorentina are. What do you think their ceiling is for this season, naturally, without getting carried away after this victory? Albeit they've had a fantastic start, only one loss against Inter. What can they do this year? I think they can aim for a Champions League and achieve Europa League. Beautiful. Yeah. Bro, I would love it if Fiorentina made Champions League. I love teams with history, I, mean, I love teams with pedigree, I love teams with identity and Fiorentina are just I don't, that. I don't necessarily think they'll qualify for the Champions League and I don't think they'll finish top four. But they can most definitely aim to do so. And and if you aim to get Champions League, you, you're disappointed, you fail, you have a Europa League. So it's not that bad. They actually did better than they did last season if that's the mm. case. But yes, the season is very long, but I'm seeing a Fiorentina side over here that has some serious depth. Um, and a coach that's got his team ticking and a team that's kind of developed an identity 
we saw the flashes of, of this Fiorentina side in previous seasons. You know, they've been good for a while now, for two seasons. They've been pretty good, mm-hmm. but they've not been this good. No. Yeah. And now it seems like they've got all those little um, problems sorted that they had earlier on. Yeah, man. And it's also nice seeing them introducing the, the youngsters against Napoli. We're almost rubbing salt in their wounds. You know, they brought on Infantino. They brought on uh, Comuzzo over there. They brought those two youth players on and then boom, Nico Gonzalez scores. <laughs> Beautiful. Fun. That's Beautiful, so fun. man. And then they managed to um, do so well before Nico came on as well. And we've been hailing Nico as the star of this team. I have to retract those words and say Bonaventura is the the star of this team because he's been absolutely phenomenal for them, really rolling back the years over there. I don't think, not even at Milan, can I remember Bonaventura being on such great form. But anyway... A late bloomer, isn't he, Bonaventura? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He really has been. Um, Fiorentina guys are in fourth in Champions League, brother. Um, After just eight matches, naturally, on 17 points, level on points with Juventus, actually, whilst Napoli, three points behind them in fifth place on 14 points. The next game we're going to be discussing is Lazio 3, Atalanta 2. This was, once again, a high-octane clash at the Olimpico, where Lazio managed to pull off... uh, a surprising win against Atalanta. I was not expecting Lazio to win no, this one. Especially yeah. after their start. Yeah. Um, they ended Atalanta's five-game unbeaten streak in Serie A. Despite both teams playing their seventh game in three weeks, the match delivered intense action and several dramatic moments. Now, for Lazio, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Provedel in goal, Marisic, Chassal, Romagnoli, and he said the back with Guendouzi, Rovella, and Luis Alberto in the middle, Felipe Anderson was out on the right, Zaccani was out on the left, and Castellanos was in the middle, um, up front rather, replacing Immobile, who was not at his best. Um, I believe he wasn't even at the game, Immobile. He was injured. Okay. Juan Musso was in goal for Atalanta in their 3-4-1-2 formation. Kolasinac, Jim City and Scalvini were at the back with Ruggeri and Davide Zappacosta as the wing-backs with Ederson and Darun working in a double pivot. Um, Pasalic was playing in the hole with Skamaka and Deke Talare up front. The game got off to a shocking start for Atalanta as an own goal by Charles Decatelar, deflected often from a Luis Alberto corner, handed Lazio an early lead within five minutes. Now, <laughs> you can see, um, did you see it? The, the clip of Gasperini freaking out. Losing his nut over going it, like. berserk, bro. He was, he was so angry at him. Garden gnomes tend to get, have a short time. <laughs> you, would, you would think. You'd think it'd be a bit more forgiving. More compassionate. Yeah. Where it's a player who struggled of with course. confidence. Of course. And, and who's only turned his career around now. You know, he was in the gutter after that spell at Milan. Yeah. You know, he's playing well for him. And now it's because of one own goal. You know, granted, he was flat-footed. He was. He should have been on his toes. He should have been more alert. The boy just hit him and ended up in the back of the net. But you hear Gasperini, Vaffangulo! <laughs> over and over again. I don't know. But yeah, um, Lazio continued to dominate with Felipe Anderson racing down the right-hand flank to deliver a precise cross that Tati Castellanos converted, doubling the lead at the 11th minute mark. Lazio's Guendouzi hit the crossbar soon after and it seemed like Atalanta was in for a tough day. However, Atalanta started to find a rhythm and Ederson's header of uh, Matteo Ruggeri cross in the 33rd minute pulled one back for them. And at halftime, it was 2-1 in favour of Lazio. 
The second half began with Atalanta, Atalanta pushing hard and the Catalara had a chance to level the score early on, but Provedel made a crucial save. There was a really cool turn here by the Catalara. I don't know if you saw it. He spun so quickly. Yes. On the 360 and just shot it. Atalanta's pressure paid off in the 63rd minute when Saad, or Saad rather, Kolasinac headed in at Tium Coop Miner's corner to make it 2-2. Brother, this wine is slapping me in the yeah, face. It's good, man. It's, it's good and it's strong. Yeah. I, I love just it. called Coop Miner's Tium Coop Miner's. <laughs> I've um, never heard you call him Tune. His name is Tune. Tune? Tune? Tune, I think. Tune. Like when, like when a good song comes on. Exactly. <laughs> Fucking tune, tune, bro. Tune. Banger Coop Miners. As the game entered its final stage, Matias Vecino became Lazio's hero, volleying in a precise cross from Castellanos into the net from close range in the 83rd minute, putting Lazio ahead 3-2. This was the most Milinkovic-Savic-esque goal I've seen since he left. That. That's true. That I get, I get exactly what you mean. You know, like, uh-huh. what a goal over there. And it's not normal for a player to have as many big moments as Vecino has. For a fringe player especially to have as many protagonist moments. I was going to say last, last I, th- I think it was last season we called him a big game player. Yeah, yeah he's totally um, a big game player. He continues to prove that man and and you almost forget that, that he's got such finishes in his locker and to his arsenal. But he does man, he does. And, and mm-hmm. whether or not he's starting a game where he's coming on, He's a threat on the big stage, Vecino. Yeah, yeah, totally, bro. Um, he's he's the type of player, man, that you can that you can pretty much plug into any of those midfield positions, and he's not going to be a superstar, but he'll get the job done. He's kind yeah. of like you know, kind of like Krunic. I was going to say Krunic. with even like like with with goal prowess. Uh-huh. That's it. And and a bit more goal prowess, a bit less testosterone. Uh, but I don't know about that. I've seen as a hard man. Mm. Yeah. As hard as Kronich. Let's not get carried away uh, yeah. over here. <laughs> Atalanta's resilience, brother, is something I would like to discuss over here. Now, Lazio looked like they were going to run away with it at the beginning when they were 2-0 up mm-hmm. within 11 minutes, you know. But um, they managed to find a goal, Atalanta, in the first half, 2-1 and halftime. Then as the f- second half kicked off, 13 minutes later, boom, it's 2-2. It's not hard to come back from 2-0 down, bro. No, it, it, it's, it's... Well, I think you mean it's not easy. I think it, it's, no, not it's not hard. No, it's not easy. Jesus. <laughs> Vina, Vina. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think um, w- what happened here, well, basically was they managed to get a goal in the 33rd minute, which, you know, before halftime. Um, and then suddenly all they needed was one goal to get back into it. And, and if there's one thing Atalanta always have, it's it's uh, team spirit and they always want to get back into the game. No matter what, Atalanta, they're not often dead and, and out of the game, are they? They're, they're constantly there looking to get a goal. I think that's what you get with a manager like like uh, Gasperini. And he's built a side over here where if I hear that Atalanta scored, I'd be like, okay, who scored? If Napoli scored, I'd bet my money on Osimen. If Milan scored, I'd bet my money on Leao. If Inter scored, I'd bet my money on Lautaro. Atalanta are one of those teams that you don't know who's going to score because everyone is capable of it, whether it's probably not Dejon. Mm. That, that, that's what I'd say. Ah, he's 
should actually go but, quite but a he's, few. He's, he's gotten a few yeah, in the yeah. past. Um, but Skamaka, De Ketelare, Pasalic, Ederson, um, even Zappa, Costa, Scalvini. These guys are all capable of getting yeah, a goal. You never know who's going to get one for them. They're a team with thousands and thousands and thousands of combinations. Dude. Yes, yes. And that's it, man. That's They're it. always capable of scoring. Atalanta, no matter what. They're never down and out, man. And they, they fought hard over here. Totally. And it's an absolute shame that Coop Miners picked up an injury on international duty because he's an absolute gem over there. Yes. And the rotation saw him starting off the bench. But... Um, Pasalic started instead of him, who, by the way, brother, um, didn't look very good at. So, Pasalic, I didn't want to say that he regressed last season, um, because it's you can sometimes have a bad season, shockingly enough. But the start he's also gotten off this season hasn't been too impressive. Um, he hasn't really been finding himself in such opportunities that he used to find himself in in the past. And it seems like that started when Atalanta started taking a bit more of a pragmatic approach. It seems like when they were more of a, an expressive and offensive team, Pasalic would often find himself in goal-scoring opportunities and we would hail him as, a, as, as one of the, the smartest players in, in the league. But ever since they've seemed to take a bit more of a pragmatic approach, we've stopped seeing him in those situations. It's weird. It is really weird. I think it might be also a question of confidence. Maybe the coach not believing in him as a starter has, has got to him and he feels the pressure now whenever he does play because he hasn't featured much at all this season. That's true. Um, That's true. So yeah, now when he plays, he plays with this pressure that he has to make something happen. And I, mm-hmm. I believe when you try to force it, 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 it doesn't quite come off well. No, no. Um, but, you know, the, the tools at Gasparini's disposal are always so good. You know, I take out Pasolis, you bring on Coop Miners, take out Skamaka, you bring on Lukman. You know, yeah, um, very good over there. But yeah, bro, um, Sarri got sent off in the 85th minute for dissent. What do you think he said? Probably the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. He's always got one of those in his locker. Yeah, he's Sarri, such a, a character. He's, he's like a, an old man that drinks too much when something doesn't go his way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have, have you ever heard any of his interviews in the Premier League? This, this is what you hear. <laughs> bro, he, bro also needs to stop chewing on filters Abba. like be, be cool like I, I I'm, I'm a smoker and I don't like shove my fucking um, addiction in your face no, bro, but you're, you're a casual compared to this guy I yeah. heard um, an interview with, I forgot who it was but someone basically had a, had a long drive with Sarri and he told him listen Sarri and there's listen Maurizio or listen Mo if they're tight like that um, there's no smoking in my car mm. right so like if you want a cigarette at any point tell me we'll pull over you can have a cigarette Apparently, bro, he spent the entire two-hour ride just chain smoking cigarettes. Like he, like he wouldn't even finish a cigarette. He'd use the cigarette to light another one. Like, man, just chain smoking them in the car. Man, um, the I, entire way. I think it, you. Now this is a podcast about cigarettes, but you lose the enjoyment. That he's totally reliant on this shit. It's like I have a cigarette after recording or in a break from recording, and I'm like, yes, Jesus, this is wow. You know what I mean? But if he doesn't have a cigarette, he's going to punch you in the fucking throat. <laughs> you know what I mean? He can't operate without them. Smoking is bad for you and it makes you ugly. It's not cool at all. No. Yeah. Um, but I do want to say that both teams look good going forward, brother. Um, mm-hmm. However, they are both quite vulnerable at the back. Yes. Do you think this is a personnel problem? Do you think this is a systematic kind of problem? What do you think the... 
the problem is here. It's it's interesting because if you look at last season, both these sides didn't concede many goals. Particularly, yeah, Provedel had the most clean sheets in Serie A, whilst Atalanta, naturally, they, they took that more pra- pragmatic approach and they conceded way less goals. So it's really interesting seeing them struggling defensively this season. Um, I, 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 I doubt it's individuals. Um, I mean, it, it's tough to say what the issue is. I, I don't think Romagnoli or Chazale would be the issue as much as I don't think Scalvini or, or Jim City would be the issue. If you look at Atalanta, they've got some new personnel, for example, Kolasinac, that maybe still needs to find his footing, although he has gotten off to quite a good start. But I think it's more the brand of football that they are playing that leaves them vulnerable to certain situations rather than personnel. But I, I, I still can't put my finger on it because it's almost comical at times, particularly Lazio, the manner in which they concede goals. Situations yeah. where you think they, they, they could never concede Atalanta's goals. goals both came from dead ball situations over here. So Lazio definitely have something to, to focus on over there. Mm. Um, bro, um, I've also been impressed by the substitute um, for Lazio, Isaacson. Yeah, Isaacson. He's good. Um, he's not going to track back much. He's not going to do a lot of defensive dirty work for you. But he's an interesting little profile going forward. And this is something I noticed about Lazio this season. Is that last season, who was challenging Philip Anderson for his spot? Do you remember? Um, it was Cancellieri. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah? Of course. And Cancellieri didn't really challenge Challenging is a strong word. Yeah, exactly. He was, he was there as a substitute if he ever got injured, if he was ever really too tired to play. Now I feel like this guy can actually rotate with Anderson a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, they actually do have this depth now. There was no vice in Mobile last season. No, no, there wasn't. You know, no, no, this guy came in, goal and assist immediately. I, I was super impressed by Tati Castellanos over here because dropping in Mobile, um, naturally it is because of an injury. But for the Atalanta game, you're starting this MLS guy, you know, mm-hmm. um, he's a not, killer. Huh? He's a killer in front of good, goal. man. He, he looked, he yeah. looked good. He looked good. I'm not going to get carried away, but he looked good. Yeah, yeah. He honestly, and, and we said it, no, you can only score where you where you play. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, he was in the MLS, scored quite a few goals. And prior to that, I believe he was in Spain with Granada. Ah, some, some, something like that. Some yeah. team. He's, he still scored many goals there. So Yeah, so but, but I think this game is proof that, that every match, and this is, this is what Nanu Joe was saying, <laughs> our, our granddad Joe. Um, we've often mentioned him on this podcast mm-hmm. for getting frustrated for not remembering player names back from the 60s. Like. And saying that Alexandro joined Juventus and played as a trequartist. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Not true. Like, yeah, not true. maybe not. Um, but styles make matches. And you look at a team like Lazio that have been struggling. You look at a team like Atalanta, have been doing decently well. Um, they go up against each other and Lazio managed to get away with a victory when Lazio found themselves coming into this game at around 15th place. Um, there's also a case of a bit of Robin Hood from Lazio <laughs> because they've also beaten Napoli this season um, and they beat Atalanta and they've pretty much struggled against everyone else. So there's definitely a case of rising to the occasion for this Lazio team. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Let's see how they settle, to be honest, because... Yeah. I do feel there's a positive vibe at this Lazio team. Mm-hmm. And I look at Luis Alberto, for example, who um, the kind of player he is, usually you'd expect him to, 
you know, be a bit of a rebel, a bad man, a bit of a, you know, I don't give a fuck, you know, I get my, I get my salary, I play my ball, you know, what else happens, mm. happens. He was fucking stood next to Sarri on the sideline, clapping his team on, shouting instructions out, you know. Uh-huh. Like, I really don't think there's a lot of trouble for Lazio. No, I don't no, think no, Lazio are in trouble. Positive vibe mm-hmm. right now. And I do see them actually doing quite well this season and recovering from this rocky start. Mm-hmm. Atalanta, what do you think? Atalanta have many, many issues, man. They keep losing players. They had first they lost their new striker El Bilal Toure, mm. then they lost Skamaka. Mm. Now they've lost Coop Miners. You know there there's they can't really get it together right now because they're yeah. best, they're always playing without a missing piece and the mm. piece is always quite an important one. They have many new players who've come in and they're settling slowly, slowly. Um, he Gasperini seems to really appreciate Holm, who was signed mm-hmm. from Atalanta. He's playing quite well. Kolasinac got his first goal. You said he was signed from Atalanta. Home. Sorry, from Spezia. Yes. Um, Kolasinac um, is playing in defense and has been playing like, like he's been there for like ten years. You know, he yeah. fit in like a glove. Mm-hmm. Backer is is slowly, slowly, in, slowly, slowly. You know, uh-huh. Ederson looks like he's actually. Picked up from last year because I didn't quite like the way Ederson played last season. No, but but this year I'm liking him. Yeah, Not because yeah. he scored two goals, no, but he's, but he's, he's got playing more well. Of a, an active role, yeah. Yeah, as a box to box midfielder. Yeah, but the fact that he's had to start with um, with, for example, use, using Muriel again, you know, it's mm. like it was probably like Gasprini is probably like, ah, I've got rid of Zapata finally. And then both your strikers get injured, you look in the dressing room and it's the other Colombia. You're like, shit, I haven't shipped this one off. You know, nothing against Colombia, of course, it's just the strikers. I love, I love, I love Colombia. I love Colombia. And you know what? We, Jake and I, had one of the messiest nights of our lives drinking Agua Triente. Colombian fire water. What a drink. Amazing. Atalanta sit in 6th with 13 points, while Lazio sit in 13th with 10 points. As you can see, it's still early on in the season, so the point discrepancies really aren't that deep right now. Yeah, yeah. And off we are to another banger of a game. Inter 2, Bologna 2. Inter were coming off a 4-0 away victory against Salernitana and a midweek 1-0 victory in the Champions League over Benfica. Whilst Bologna were coming off a 3-0 win over Empoli. I hope you guys enjoyed Luca's breakdown of Bologna um, mm. last last week. I listened back to that and uh, I, I love Luca and we did receive fantastic man. feedback. So I hope you know, Luca, that, that people were sending us messages saying that you nailed it. So well done, brother. Coming into this game, Inter had recorded three successive home victories against Bologna and Serie A. Within each of their last two, 6-1. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. The Nerazzurri had Davide Frattesi and Stefano Sensi back on the bench, but Arnautovic was out against his old club, naturally with a long-term injury. Motta's side were on a strong unbeaten run, conceding just four goals, but also had a decimated defence, missing Stefan Posh, Lukumi, Sao Mauro and Christiansen. Inter, 3-5-2, you know the drill. Summer in goal, backline of Bastonia, Cherby and Pavard who has looked good for Inter. Very, very, so they, very good. DeMarco out on the left, Dumfries out on the right, Mkhitaryan, Chalanoglu and Barella in midfield with Turam and Lautaro Martinez up front. 4-2-3-1 for Bologna, Skorupski in goal, backline of De Silvestri, Beukema, Califiori and Liko Janis. Yes, decimated. Ferguson and Froehler 
in the double pivot, Orsolini out on the right, Ndoy out on the left, and Abusher playing just behind Zergze. In the fourth minute, Ferguson's first time strike flashed just wide of Sommer's far post. However, in the 11th minute, Inter opened the scoring through a chair beam. It was Hakan's corner to the near post that was headed into the near corner by the veteran Acerbi. Abysmal defending by Bologna over here, naturally with their decimated defence. They were clearly not prepared for the near post move. Even Skorupski remained rooted to the spot in the centre of the net. Those little men were, um, not little men as in like short men, but, but few men rather were, were marking Acerbi at the near post. <laughs> Brilliant. Just two minutes later, Lautaro made it 2-0 for Inter in the 13th minute. Um, Bologna, clearly shaken from conceding the early goal, gave the ball away at the back. Turam laid the ball off to Lautaro, who released a bullet strike from distance with the ball flying into the corner with no chance for Skorupski. What a goal. Um, naturally, a contender for our goal of the week. Six minutes later, uh, Bologna pulled one back through a penalty by Orsolini. Um, it was a low corner that was delivered to Orsolini. Sorry, sorry. It was a low corner that was delivered by Orsolini. And Lautaro was caught wrestling Ferguson to the ground in a really like blatant manner. And denying him a good opportunity to strike at goal from inside the area. After a VAR review... I can't believe it was needed. The penalty was awarded, which was converted by Orsolini, albeit almost saved by Sommer with the ball just squeezing in. In the 52nd minute, Bologna found their equaliser through Zergze. It was Ferguson's long ball over the top to Zergze, which led to three defenders closing down the Dutchman instantly. However, Zergze pulled the ball back, getting rid of two defenders instantly. You could just see them running three, off. I think. He fainted a shot to create space, which sent Bastoni tracking back and tracking back and tracking back. And he had all the time and space in the world to place the ball low and slow into the bottom near corner with Sommer rooted to the spot, clearly expecting a far post bullet. Um, a great example of the type of striker Zergzi is and a nice showing of what he is capable of on a big stage. Fantastic goal. Excellent composure. Seven minutes later, in the 59th, Inter had a goal disallowed. Um, it was Sanchez that found the net. However, it was offside. Um, Acerbi and Lautaro both got agonizingly close following corners, which further proves Inter's threat from dead ball situations and Bologna's decimated defense. But that was the end of the game. 2-2 draw. Do you think it was a fair result? Because Inter were getting quite close towards the end. Yes, I, I do think it was a fair result. Um once again, we'll have a situation where a team takes the lead and smacks uh, the, the opposing team with two goals in quick succession. You know, in two minutes, they put two past them and that was in the opening 13 minutes. Um, not, not very easy to come back from that. It can does, be very, very, very demoralizing. Does that remind you of any game Inter participated in last year? That reminds me of the which game Inter participated in last year with this. Yes, the Milan one. Champions League Cha semi final. Yes, exactly. Getting an early yeah. 2 0 lead, uh, both goals, um, just two minutes apart from each other, clearly taking advantage of a, of a rattled defense. That's what Inter are good at, smelling blood, man. Yeah, that's it. And being relentless, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's a cherry goal, the way he, he squeezed it in, by the way. Like, 
that header, like I, I, I didn't expect it at all. And when I saw the technique on the header, the way he he flicked it in, I wasn't expecting to see Archer be celebrating either. Yeah. And then just Lautaro is being like, you know what, screw it, I'm just gonna smack it from here and then scoring from there. Um, but done. but Bologna showed a lot of character, and I was quite disappointed when I saw into um, running away with it. I was like, oh no, they're blowing them out of the water. Could it be that Bologna? Bologna's luck has run out. Could mm. it be that it was all a fluke? Like, nah, could it be nah, that this nah, isn't nah, their nah. level? Nope, not at all. Because nope. they managed to fight their way back into the game. And they did so in style as well. Because that Zergzi old brother. Oh my God, what a striker he is. I'm in and love with what Zergzi could become. Oh my, he's, it's not even what he could become. It's it's what he is. Not, not many strikers, not many number nines have that level of technique, man. That mm. technique he has is crazy. And you and know what? It makes sense. This vision. isn't this isn't a nobody. This guy was at Bayern Munich, dude. He's a Bayern Munich youth product. Mm. Um just Do you remember watching him player. in his Serie A debut? I remember you can go back Parma to our coming on. Yes. He man. came on for Parma. And I remember us watching him. Um, and despite him not getting many opportunities in that game, we both agreed that his movement, hold up play, and the way he moved. I remember us saying, Xerxes flows. Yes. And flows. I remember. It's in last season's I episode. Even bet you five euro that he was going to score. Do you remember that? I bet you five euro. Had he? That, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think that I ever gave you that five, <laughs> that oh, five euro. Yeah, you know who's going to have to give the five euro though? Uh. Fajoli. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about Inter against sides from Emilia Romagna, brother? <laughs> it must be the air over there, brother. Hey, it man. must be the There's air. Th- that, that youthful university air yeah. of, of Emilia Romagna does something to Inter and it's and it's not good. It, it, it's funny, they, they do have... A track record against Sassuolo and Bologna that is rather negative. And it's funny because you look at their track record against any other team and it's quite positive. But those two in particular are both Emilia Romanian teams that they seem to struggle against. Not really a talking point, just a fun little um, observation. observation. Yeah. Lautaro, 10 goals in 8 games, brother. Um, becoming Inter's third player in history to reach double figures and in just 8 matches. I mean... I don't want to go off too much about him because it seems like we've been praising him from episode one of season three, but I think he deserves some praise over here. So go ahead, say what you want to say. Totally. I mean, he's formed a fantastic partnership with Marcus Thuram and they seem to understand each other very, very well. Lautaro has shouldered the responsibility of becoming a leader at this Inter team. Um, Honestly, leading by example, you know, when you wear that captain's armband and you're the one getting the goals, you fire your teammates up. You know, your teammates will play for you. They'll die for you. They're going to feed you the ball. Um, Lautaro Martinez has developed nicely. Um, And I said last episode, I can't see him having a dry spell anytime soon like he usually does Mm. on a seasonal basis. He's 26 years old, so he can only get better. And it's very exciting to see what he can do. It's crazy. I I forget that he's a young guy. He's 26, right? Lautaro's my age, dog. Yeah, Yeah, like... How are you, Lautaro We thought about how um, Van Basten retired when he was your age That's recently. That's so crazy. <laughs> I, I, am, I am nothing. 
I have I haven't done anything in my life like Van Basten retired at 28. I am 28 years old. By 28, Van Basten had achieved so much, brother. Brother, you are the co-host of Seria Spotlight. Yeah, and here I am. We are like a bit too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. I'd be up so early tomorrow, and we're just taking our time. <sighs> All right, let's calm down. I think, to be honest, we can we can close this game off. There was a bit of a midfield battle going on, and it's impressive to see what Motta and what Bologna were capable of doing with such a decimated side. I'm loving this word, decimated. You've been like, using it, man. What, what's the word you've been using? High octane. High octane. <laughs> yes, this is high octane. That's high octane. What is an octane? <laughs> Who the fuck knows what an octane is? Inter are in second place on uh, 19 points. Uh, three, no, two points behind lead leaguers. <laughs> League leaders AC Milan whilst Bologna are in 11th place on 11 points. The moment you have all been waiting for. Yes. Genoa nil, Milan won. This was an astonishing match which took place at the Marassi. Uh, Milan secured a thrilling victory against Genoa with an 87th minute goal by Pulisic. Um, catapulting them to the top of the Serie A table. This win comes at the back of a goalless draw with Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League and marks Milan's fourth consecutive league victory. The late drama didn't end there as Milan's goalkeeper, Mike Manian, received a red card in injury time, resulting in Olivier Giroud stepping up as an emergency goalkeeper to secure the victory. In the lead-up to the match, both teams showcased impressive performances with Milan boasting 18 points from six wins and one loss, marking their third best-ever start after seven games in a Serie A season. Look at that, look at Genoa, that. Genoa, on the other hand, demonstrated their strength at home by securing a draw against Napoli and defeating Roma prior to this game. So this was not an easy game for Milan by any means. And those mm-hmm. of you who have been watching Serie A closely were expecting this. Mm-hmm. For Genoa, it was their 4-5-1 formation with Josep Martinez in goal, De Winter, Bani, Dragosin and Vasquez at the back with Sabelli playing on the right and Haps playing on the left. Thorsby, Friendrup and Malinowski were in the middle with Goodmanson playing as the lone striker. For Milan, it was a 4-3-3 formation which was heavily rotated. Manian was in goal with Theo Hernandez on the left and Florenzi on the right. Tomori and Malicha were at the back with Reinders, Adli and Musa in the middle. Um, Kronich was unavailable as well for this one so Benasser and Kronich were both out in midfield. Okafor, even, even Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Even Ruben Loftus-Cheek who picked up an injury and should be back after international break. No, Okafor played on the left this time. Chukweza played on the right and Luka Jovic got his first start up front. Interesting. The match began with both teams eager to make an impact with Milan testing Genoa's goalkeeper Josep Martinez early on thanks to Alessandro Florenzi and Tiani Reinders' efforts. Despite Milan's initial dominance, Genoa put up a resolute defence, making clear-cut opportunities rare for the visitors. In the second half, Milan coach Stefano Pioli made crucial substitutions, of course, bringing on Pulisic and Leao to bolster the attack. He basically gave up on the rotation over here and said it's time to bring on our A-team. Leao came close to scoring with a towering header only to be denied by a superb reaction save from Martinez. And as the match progressed into the final stages, Genoa posed a threat with Radu Dragosin's deflected effort, forcing Manian into an incredible 
save. Oof. Amazing reflex save over yeah, there, like yeah, crawling, I, like just tapping it. That was, uh, I, I it, like he, he struck out an arm at the last second when the ball looked like it was heading in. Yeah. Fantastic save by Mike. Yeah, in the 87th minute, Pulisic sees the opportunity, swiveling and delivering a left-footed strike into the bottom corner controversially, as the ball did seem to come off the upper part of his arm. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe the rule states that um, if the images are not clear, you stick to the on-field decision. Now, the images that were available to the VAR team, like granted they should have had better images, did show that the ball kind of hit his chest and his arm equally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you thought, I thought this was a hands ball personally. So when, when I initially saw the goal, like like first time um, live, I didn't think there was any infringement whatsoever. The first replay... The first replay that was shown to me showed a, a clear handball mm-hmm. and it showed um, the inner bicep to forearm really cushioning the ball down to set Pulisic up for the strike naturally after uh, Yunus Musa's cross. However, every single angle that, that came after that is either behind Pulisic to Pulisic's side and it didn't show any, any, any clear contact and it was looking like it struck that part between his upper arm and his chest, which is typically yes. um, legal and, and awarded in football. However, that, that one angle, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick to that and say, I think that this goal should have been dis- disallowed. Yeah, not to mention Geno had shots for a penalty earlier on too. Yeah. The drama continued late into the game as Manyan was showed a red card for a dangerous challenge in injury time as he rushed out for a header and ended up kneeing Ekuban in the neck. Very dangerous over there, prompting Giroud to step into the goalkeeper's role as um, Milan had used all five of their substitutions. Giroud went on to make a great save on Puskas um, after Ekuban backheeled the ball over the top to um, Puskas who had broken free from Calabria and found himself one-on-one with an onrushing Giroud. who Superman dived with his eyes closed, punched the ball awkwardly and grab and pounced onto it to grab it and claim it as all his teammates gathered around him and yeah. smacked him on the head was while everyone was immensely, laughing. Immensely, immensely brave in both occasions. The, the initial Superman punch and then the way he claimed the ball from the Genoa um, player's foot. He was about to strike the ball and he just dove in. In fact, you initially told me what a double save yeah, by, by yeah, Giroud yeah, yeah. because it did seem that way. It's uh, honestly, I mean, it did seem like a double save. He did have to get onto that second ball. He was on the floor, Giroud. <laughs> Giroud, man. Um, wow, what a, what a legend. <laughs> Apparently, you know who wanted to go in goal initially? Uh, Pulisic. And everyone was like, no, 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 no. no. They, they, they too short. shoot as high as they yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, you're too short. And Giroud apparently that was a logical choice because he was the tallest Southfield player that wasn't a defender. And Milan were, of course, defending the lead. Therefore, Olivier Giroud had to step into the net. And apparently he's played goalkeeper before in his in his childhood. So, so he has a bit of experience over there. But yeah, man, um, Genoa's Martinez was also sent off deep into stoppage time. Mila managed to hold on for the win, securing their place at yeah. the top. What was that funny was... there is Martinez thought... <laughs> he thought those substitutions thought, were made yeah, already, but, he, but he gave three had been made only. Yeah, he gave his kit to to Dragosin. 
basically mm. told them you're going and go then Dragosin threw the kit to someone else saying like, I'm not fucking going and go uh, and, then, and then you see the board coming up and the players looking like oh we, have, we, can, we can make substitutions that's just that's just them because they're out of substitutions yeah. they had to well it, it was after three subs and, and the rule up until two years ago was three subs in a game so that, that, that could be it as well is Pioli mm. a top 10 Milan manager of all time yes 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 yes, yes. without a shadow of a doubt Top ten, yeah. top five. Yes, I wouldn't say top five. No, you wouldn't say top five. Well, Milan have had coaches who've won so much, bro. I think it'd be fifth. I th- I think it'd be. He, he's not number one. He's not number two. He's not number three. You look at Sakki. You look at Capello. You look at Ancelotti. But they were blessed with sides. Uh, even Allegri won the league with Milan. I mean, yes, but look at the. Look at the team he had. Got two Sopirlo Seidor. It's true, it's true. Look, look who... Mean, he won it with fucking Junior Messias, bro. With Kalulu at centre. Brahim like, Diaz. You're joking, yeah. man. It's true. And then Kalulu Tomori defensive partnership with many clean sheets in the last nine games of the season. No, no, granted. Um, mm-hmm. Pioli has definitely overachieved this Milan team and definitely um, deserves to be in the top 10, in my opinion. Not top five? No, maybe not top five. I need to look a little bit more into it. There have been some crazy... Let's say recent, in recent history. In recent history, there, he's man. the best. Yeah, <laughs> in recent history, there up. haven't been many great coaches for Milan. Mm-hmm. And many of them ex- being ex-players, of mm-hmm. course. Obviously, it, it's more because of what he has been able to achieve rather than his mm. current form. He does do certain things that like his, his in-game management is something that I have criticized in the past. And, and I think... Still to this day, I'm not too confident in in Pioli's substitutions every now and again, mm. even the way in which. So I think he's handled. It's not easy to handle getting nine new players um, and seeing how you're going to line up. I think he has his starting eleven, which is great, and he's really stuck with it. Um, it's just the manner in which he's introducing some of these players. That I'm not a massive fan of, mm. um, particularly players like Chukweze, Jovic. But what would you have done differently? He's given them a start now. So he's given them a start, yes. Okay. Um, what he has done that I dislike over the course of the season is basically, okay, so you introduce Chukweze in the last 15 minutes of the game. Um, you introduce Okafor in the last 15 minutes of the game. You give Jovic 10 minutes. Sure, it's important to introduce them slowly. I agree. Um, but whenever he makes a substitution... You never see Jovic, for example, let's use Jovic as an example. You never see him playing with Leao on the left, Pulisic on the right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You never see Chukweza playing with Giroud in the middle, Leao on the left. You never see Okafor playing with Giroud in the middle and Pulisic on the right. What I'm trying to say over here is he is testing these players and he's giving these players opportunities. Either they only get 10 to 15 minutes um, alongside when defending players, a lead. when defending a lead. Or else he brings them on like in a match against Inter and it's like, okay, now do or die. You mm. haven't gotten much chance, but this is your chance now. Do or die. And the game's over. And then, yeah. And then in, in this game, he just tosses the the three in Chukweze, Jovic and Okafor, totally new to each other, totally new to the system, together in the starting eleven. Yeah. What... I would have done. <laughs> Which he shouldn't take advice from, absolutely. 
is give these guys some opportunities with the best players in the team because that's how they're going to get used to the system. That's how Chukweza is going to compete with Pulisic because Pulisic's playing with Giroud in the middle, Leao on the left with Reinders, Loftus-Cheek, so on and so forth. Chukweza is playing with Musa, Adliovic and Okafor. So how is he supposed to stand out as this player when the players around him aren't giving him the opportunity to? Yeah, I mean, probably in his mind, he's giving them all an opportunity to kind of stand out, you yeah. know? Like if Chukwez is playing and Leao is playing at the same time, you'd think that a lot of the play would be focused around Leao and there'd be a lot of pressure for Chukwez to maybe feed Leao. But if he's playing with other people who um, who don't quite, who haven't quite made a name for themselves yet, maybe it gives them more of an opportunity to express themselves. Perhaps. And it's a little bit more. Um, I'm just super impressed that it paid off and there was a clean sheet as well. Yes, yes. Now, otherwise, um, like I, like I said, I'm not being critical of purely there are some things that that could be improved, but at the end of the day, I do have trust in him as a Milan yeah. fan. Yeah, um, I was particularly impressed with Frendrup, uh, the English midfielder, who so far this season has already provided three assists. Um, he's very good at winning duels and he's a vital part of Genoa's midfield. Very good player over there. Um, yeah. Albert Goodmanson had a very good game and is showing that um, he lives for these occasions mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. totally the type of player that should thrive over here. Yeah. Um, with his, I believe, great-grandfather being the first professional football player in Iceland. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, he comes from a generation of footballing excellence over there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I was... I was um, I couldn't look away from this game, bro. And you had a bit of a nightmare this game because you I left did, early. I did, I did. You left early and I called you and I was like, brother, Giroud's in goal. And you're like, what? And you're like, yes, Mani has been... No, no, I called you. I'm like, red card, bro. You're like, what? Yeah. I'm like, red card. I'm like, Mani has been sent off. You're like, shit. I'm like, Giroud's going in. You're like, what do you mean Giroud's going in? I'm like, yep, Giroud's going in. We're out of substitutions. You're like, oh my God. I oh my God, they have a free kidding. kick. They fed the crossbar. Bro, they're on the rebound. Ma, was like, Ma, I'm getting PTSD from it, bro. Honestly. And you were in the car, no? Just Driving like, to the cinema. Like, like I said, <laughs> watch so I said, for, like, like I booked, I, I went to a, I went to a date night with my girlfriend. You know what I mean? I said, babe, can we please book the 1121 so that I can watch Milan? She struggles to stay asleep watching a movie at 6 p.m. Let alone at 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 the eleven oh five it was. I'm like, can we do this? So come on, Jamila, bless her, love her. Um, she said yes, sure, whatever. Um, naturally, there there was a significant amount of of added time yeah. initially added as well. Um, and I said, you know what? Like, I'm 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 just gonna leave. Milan got the lead through. Pulisic, they should ride the game out now. Um, I'm off, which is something I never do, guys. But but fuck it. Um, and you call me. I'm in the passenger seat. Thank. God, I wasn't fucking driving, man. I was like, um, there's been a red card to Manian because I have Manian on Fanta as well. Giroud was in goal and it was mental. And thank you for commentating that that entire experience for me. Needless to say, it was scarier than so, that experience. I was impressed by Adli, um, impressed by Musa too. However, I must say the Reinders has been a little bit too selfish for my liking recently. I think he, he feels... I think he needs he feels a goal. He needs a goal. Yeah, he yeah. feels. There's he no. He does not need a goal, and it would be so Agreed. much more impressive if he passed the ball. Agreed, like, agree. Final agreed. third, pass the ball if there's a player open. Absolutely. He demonstrates so much maturity, so much selflessness, so much skill by passing the ball in a situation. So much awareness, you know, yep. game changing level of awareness. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
So I, yeah, I, I like Reinders. I like the way he plays. Um, however, I do feel like he needs to be more selfless in his role. Mm-hmm. Um, Theo Hernandez got a silly yellow card, so he'll be missing the Juve game. Manian will also be missing the Juve game because of his card, but will be back for the Napoli game. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Milan, I don't know if there's anything you want to add before I read No, I mean, I just want to say that that um, I wasn't confident about Milan getting away with three points in this match because we've seen how Genoa have been performing and, and we saw... Um, the way Milan lined up, my God, I mean, Musa, Adli, Reinders in midfield, Chukweza, Jovic, Okafor. I was telling you before this game, if, if last season um, we fast forward and said, this is how Milan are going to line up against Genoa next season, I'd have been like, what? Yeah. Like in, in, in what world? Um, but that was the reality of the situation. Milan went into this game with one, two, three, four, five. Five players from last season. I'm not counting Adli. Um, five players from last season and one of them was Florenzi who was out with an ACL for the majority of last season this was a new team playing against Genoa who beat fucking the shit out of Roma Mm -hmm. and to have beat the shit out of other teams and they're looking incredibly held Napoli as well they look did they hold Napoli? they did they did hold Napoli Um, they, they, they look incredible and I really wasn't confident Milan getting three points but in order for Milan to to hold their own and get that goal in the 87th minute, albeit with, with controversy around it, for them to still be finding themselves in those positions so late on in the game after Genoa gave them a game and a half, I thought was quite impressive of Milan away from home as well. Giroud going in goal and, and doing a bit showcasing great team spirit, put me where you want and I'm going to do the job. Mm-hmm. They all gave their 100% and I'm looking at the team and I'm saying I'm proud of these boys. Yeah, this yeah game. that's it, that's it, that's it. Milan are currently in first with 21 points, two points clear of Inter, while Genoa sit in 15th with eight points, um, four points off the drop. It's not over yet. We've got the Derby della Mole. Juve 2, Torino 0. Juve were coming off a 0-0 away draw at Atalanta, whereas Torino were coming off a 0-0 home draw to Verona. Um, in all competitions, Juventus are undefeated in their last 18 Turin derbies, where they won 14 and drew 4. Um, since Massimiliano Allegri's return to the club, the Bianconeri um, have three wins and one draw in the derby, scoring at least one goal in every game. The Bianconeri went into this clash without Federico Chiesa, Dusan Vlaovic, Alexandro and Mattia De Cilio, while Milik was only fit for the bench and Paul Pogba was obviously still out um, due to the failed doping test. Um, Toro weren't doing much better, missing Buongiorno, Voivoda, Soppi, Gigi and Papa. So two decimated sides over here. For Juve, it was a 3-5-2. Chesney in goal, backline of Danilo, Bremer and Gatti, Kostic on the left, Wea on the right, Rabio, Locatelli and McKenney in midfield. Moise Keane and Miretti up front. Whilst Torino lined up in a 3-4-1 formation with Vanya and Gola, backline of Tamez, Schurz and Rodriguez, Bellanova on the right, Lazaro on the left on the double pivot of Ricci and Illich, second Vlasic were flanking um, Zapata. Now it was a rather uneventful first half, typical um, Derby della Mole, Things particularly with the way Juve have been lining up under Allegri and the way Torino typically tend to line up in this derby because they, they like to play it safe. Like I said, they haven't won this in, in around 18 matches. Um, however, in the 47th minute, it was Gatti that opened the scoring um, in the opening moments of the second half for Juve. Um, 
Vanya made an absolute mess of Kostic's corner as he dove out to punch the ball, but totally missed it. The ball ricocheted off of Tamez and landed to Moise Keen, who had an empty net, but also his back towards goal. And so he had to overkick, oh, he had to overhead kick the ball uh, and he hit the post. And Gatti was there for the rebound, making sure the ball crossed the line even twice. The referee initially cancelled the goal due to an apparent offside, but since the ball came off of a Torino defender, the goal was awarded. In the 62nd minute, um, Juve made it two through uh, substitute Arcadius Milik. Now, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Another Kostic corner, another missed Superman punch by Vanya, another goal for Juve as Milik headed in. The keeper complained about Moise Keane's obstruction. Well, basketball is big in Serbia, so maybe he got the rules confused. Um, but however, Vanya, you are allowed to stand in someone's way in football. Um, you can't blame them for the way that you command your area. Now fool me three times and you should get demoted to Serie C. <laughs> Would you believe that he made the same mistake in the 67th minute after, yeah, he uh, was, after a Kostic corner? It like, was Jesus unlike him. Christ. He, like, was, he, he was a bit nervous. I think the first mistake got to him and he never really recovered. Um, this was a very interesting game. So first of all, it's interesting to note that when it comes to shots on targets Torino only had one um, so Torino did not play well at all this no. game and Juve pretty much had them figured out um, nice to see Gatti scoring after his comical howler last yeah. week yeah. that's a great recovery and it just goes to show that went football mad. is all about highs and lows football is a brilliant representation of life and you've got Gatti, last week he was at his lowest, this week he was scoring in the derby and he's being celebrated and I'm sure he hasn't paid at a restaurant since. Fucking so, word, bro. So yeah, um, Kostic played a fantastic game, in my From opinion, he's whipping ball. in crosses, he's such a good crosser of the ball, Kostic, and that, that's what he's going to give you. He's and I think Cambiazo is an interesting player, he's good, but I don't think he's quite ready to bench Kostic. He's not in the prime of his career, no. which Kostic finds exactly, himself in. Exactly. But there were... Brother, I, I just... Kostic was to... almost out last season. Yeah. Yeah, Nottingham Forest wanted yeah, him. Yeah. All these guys wanted anyway, him. Please, I just want to finish the, the play-by-play. Ah, yes, play. Luckily, um, it wasn't a... Th Luckily for Vanya and Torino, it wasn't a third from that corner uh, because Gatti um, headed off target. Um, Keane had a disallowed goal for offside at one point. And at one point, Keane might have accidentally kicked the moon while controlling a super high ball with his foot. Yeah. Um, it looked like a combination of Zlatan Zidane and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. In reality, he's Moise Keane and he's kind of mid. Stephen um, Wonderboy Thompson? Yeah, he's a karate-style fighter in, in the okay. UFC. He can, he can kick the sun. It's, 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 Damn. Yeah. I didn't get that reference. Did, I apologize. Did, did, did you see the way he controlled that ball? I did, bro. I did. It was Zlatan esque, really. Literally, literally. The way he. Zlatan Zidane and Stephen Wonderboy. I must Thompson. say, Keane has a new lease of life this season. He's looking different. He's looking more complete as a striker. Uh huh. I think he's one of those strikers that isn't gonna, isn't gonna uh, grab many goals. However, if he has a more direct striker next to him, he could be a good partner for him. Unfortunately mm -hmm. for him, he had Miretti. Um, who yeah. probably played in, in a bit more of a free role over there as a secondary striker. Um, but Vanya had a terrible game over here, which isn't like Vanya because he's a very solid goalkeeper. Um, he's formidable between the sticks. His size makes it super hard for anyone to get close to him because he also has a pair of balls that a bull would be proud of. Um, 
but in this case they seem to have shriveled up in the in the cold Turin air man and and, and I'm not quite sure what he tried tried to do because l- like I said I mean fool me once shame on me fool me twice shame on me fool me three times I get demoted to Serie 3 it's it's ridiculous that you make the same mistake three times in quick succession in the same half of the same game and he would have gotten a strong talking to from Juric knowing him probably Juric was extremely emotional after the game mm-hmm. Juric was crying after the game oh was he yeah yeah, yeah. he was in tears he said I've, I've given it all but it's not working I've been here for two and a half years and we've made good progress but it's not quite what I have wanted to achieve so far Fuck. there's something missing and it is true there is something missing they do struggle to score goals stylistically they look good they're clearly organized they clearly have good ideas in place but something really is missing let's hope that he Urich can get these guys clicking mm-hmm. because he's a fantastic coach and Torino have come a long way from the relegation team that yeah, they were yeah. when he took over essentially yeah, yeah they were a team that was just outside the relegation yeah like obviously the, this game is very important for Torino because it's their derby you know what mm-hmm. I mean um, but how important is the derby della Mole victory for Juve because it's it, massive. It, it, I mean, but yes, because it's it's the derby and it means a lot to the fans, which was which is what makes it massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you look at this and it's 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 not competitive at this point. Well, like, and, and, and it hasn't been competitive like properly. Eighteen matches. In Eighteen yeah, matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, um, it's probably one an opportunity this derby for Juve to raise their spirits and to be honoured for a game that's actually not that difficult Mm. to win. But, however, on the other side, there's a situation that this game is is a must-win for Torino and a must-perform. So Torino come in with less pressure than Juve because there Mm. there are fewer expectations for them. So, so they can easily disrupt Juve with the pressure and the the, the size of the mm, occasion. Mm. I mean, I I praise Juve because they had um, they had a weak inside naturally with with Vlaovic and and Kies out. However, with all these like to, to give Torino some credit, they too had a decimated side that Bongiorno bro I can't anymore with this. I'm word. sorry, I'm so sorry, but it's just it's too good, man. Such a word. Um. Bonjourno, Voivoda, Sopi, Gigi and Popa out for Torino led to Juric making several tactic adjustments for this match, including adapting Tamez as a centre-back and introducing Pellegri and Sanabria in the late stages. These changes aimed to turn um, the tide of the game, but they ultimately fell short, um, highlighting the complexities of, of in-game management. Um, Juve simply have a thicker squad with, with higher quality, right? Of course. Which... which Obviously makes it a bit of a mismatch. Of course, they've got there. superstars in their team. Well, yeah. well, Torino don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Meretti's striker? I um, as a secondary striker, I don't mind him. I, I don't mind him as a secondary striker, and I think he he was. I I, I would say he, he fitted into the role quite well, but in the first half, particularly, you very really struggled to to create anything, and it did lead to Meretti actually being substituted. 
um, in this game. I don't think it's his first position, but I think mm. as he's a, he's a young man and he grows into roles more and more, I think he'll be fine over there in the future. Uh, I see him as more of a midfielder, maybe a mezzal or like a kind of... Ah, uh-huh, less yeah. less close to goal, more of a, a bit, not 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 exactly box-to-box. I yeah, think mezzala is, is, is perfect, drifting a bit more wide, so on and so forth. Um, just one more point on the set-piece dominance. When you have a game like this where it's tough to create chances... That is the kind of shit that, that could take you over the line. We look at Italy in the in the Euros um, of 2020. That took place in 2021, actually, actually, as you all know what happened there. Um, but that is what took them over the line. I think from open play, not an even affair. I think Juve were better, but closer than, than the scoreline might suggest mm-hmm. and the outcome might suggest. And Juve played a, a different game, as in they, they picked up from where they, they started at the start of the season with mm. this high press. Yes. Pressing. We don't often see that with you. No. Um, well, with uh, Allegri. <laughs> but but this was very effective. And yeah, um, this was a derby della mole, which saw Juve winning quite comfortably and not having to leave it to a late Locatelli winner. Yeah, exactly. One point on Fagioli. Obviously, we'll have to address it since it's the Juve game. How much of a significant loss would he be for Juve? It'd be an option off the bench that's gone and an option in rotation that's gone. He's a very good talent and I think they'll miss him more for the future um, than right now. But yeah, yeah. Um, there aren't really many players with his characteristics on the bench for you right now. Yeah, and I think it's the key stages of progression that he is in in his career right now. Yeah. His late teens, early 20s. Um, these are the times where getting significant minutes with the big boys is the most important time and, and halting that progression because you're not getting in-game minutes um, will be very effective to his career. But Juve find themselves in third, guys, on 17 points. They're actually four points behind Milan. Torino down in 14th, brother, on, on just nine points in eight matches. Yeah, not a good start. Minus three goal difference for them. No wonder Juric was in tears, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. Cagliari 1, Roma 4. This was another action-packed clash. Um, Roma convincingly decimated Cagliari, brother, for your favourite word. word. Um, The match was marred by a concerning injury to Argentine forward Paolo De Bala, who has since... uh, It was marred. It was marred. It was marred. Dorian Gray, was it marred? (laughs) No. (laughs) Paolo De Bala was injured, but turns out it's not serious. Okay, so it's fine. Um, the fans were anxious about his condition, of course. Um, this victory marked Roma's third consecutive win. Um, and they lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Rui Patricio in goal and Dica, Cristante and Mancini at the back with Spinazzola out on the left, Karsdorp out on the right, Awar, Paredes and Bove in the middle with Lukaku and Dybala starting up front. <clears throat> For Cagliari, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Scuffet coming in instead of um, Radunovic. Mm. Now, Radunovic, according to Ranieri, has not been at his best this season in Serie A. But yeah, he's had right, two games. Right, yeah. His last two games were tough. Yeah. Um, the only reason I see this substitution as justifiable is because Skufe and Radunovic have a similar profile. They're both 27 years old. Mm. They're both um, decent goalkeepers. Skufe had started with with um, Udinese, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Correct. And he he debuted for them as a teenager. So he's been around for a while and he's a pretty good goalkeeper and it showed because he had a good save early on on yeah, the ball. If I'm not mistaken, he debuted against Milan years ago. 
Yeah, maybe I'm not too sure. I'm, 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 but I'm quite certain of it. Um, but but what Ranieri did here is what some managers struggle to do, which is um, dropping a keeper's confidence and and instilling a sense of competition between two goalkeepers, particularly yeah. since, like you mentioned, they've got a similar profile. You see other managers that really stick by their guns. You see United with Onana, for example. You would have seen uh, Inter with Handanovic for a number of years before Onana had gone in over there. Um, but yeah, different managers, different styles. Ranieri's yeah. old school. You're not playing. You're not playing well. You're out of the team. Exactly. Yes. So it was Hatsidiakos, Viteska, and Obert at the back for Cagliari in their three-five-two formation with Nathan Landes on the right flank, Atzi on the left flank, Sulemana, Prati, and Makumbu in the middle with Oristanio and Patania up front. The game kicked off and Cagliari displayed energy and intensity, especially through Nandez's efforts on the right flank. However, with the difference in quality that soon became apparent, the French midfielder Hussem Awar made his mark with a goal in the 19th minute, showing his prowess to get his second goal in Italy. Roma's dominance was underlined by goals from Awar and then Romelu Lukaku who scored after Karsdorp delivered a delicious cross into the box. And you can see how much it meant to Karsdorp over here as he celebrated that assist like it was his own goal. And Lukaku took off pointing at him and smiling and kind of praising him for his for his valiant efforts. Karsdorp's mm-hmm. been through it. He, he really has. <laughs> Colliery struggled to find ideas in space. They faced an uphill battle and the match took a grim turn when Dybala sustained a knee injury and had to leave the field in tears. In the second half, Andrea Bellotti added to Cagliari's woes with a spectacular goal, making it 3-0, albeit after a VAR check. Brother, this was a goal of the week contender and we forgot about it. Yeah, we missed it. We missed it. Yeah, he absolutely tore the defence apart, fainting and shimmying before executing the play perfectly. Yeah, prime Gallo, it looked like. Prime Gallo, prime prime Gallo, Gallo, Torino, that one season. The second half continued to favour Roma. Lukaku, with his second goal of the match, took the score to 4-0 after Bellotti held the play up well, um, laid it off to Paredes, who found Lukaku in a pocket of space, who finished cleanly. Now the Paredes game... Paredes to assist in eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been very good this season mm-hmm. when it comes to actually contributing to goals. In the 87th minute, Cristante handled the ball in the box. Um, Calier wrote the penalty and Nandes slotted it home. Yep. Bro, it was men against boys, I hear. It was, man. And and I, I, I had said this to you before we started recording the episode, which is Roma got going. Mm-hmm. They really got going. That that signing of Lukaku was that like final piece to what they needed to turn things up. And it seems like they're attacking with way more confidence. Belotti got off to a really good start this season. He had scored a, a hat-trick on the first day, but but there were some disallowed goals over there. Yeah. Um, I believe he ended up scoring two. In that game, two legal goals. Yeah. Um, and bro is fucking yawning. Like. Sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they look like a, a dangerous side. A dangerous side. I'm not just talking about this game because this was against Cagliari, who they just don't look good, do they, man? Cagliari. They they look like they're constantly wary that someone can catch them out on the break, but they're not doing too much about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They 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 don't, don't attack have... with com- they don't move with confidence because they know they they can get caught out. But like, in some way, shape, or form, they're still getting caught out consistently. Exactly. No, that's I think teams feel comfortable attacking Calgary as we mentioned last episode because they're not going to hit you on the break with pace. 
So yeah. if you attack them and you don't make the most out of your chance and you and they counter attack, you're not in danger unless Lovumbo's playing, of course. Yeah. Then Lovumbo will tear you a new one. But Lovumbo was on the bench this game and he actually came on in the 39th minute because Ranieri realized like these guys are, are just attacking and attacking and attacking and we have nothing to say about it. So he actually f- had to make the substitution in the first half. Is, is is there a reason that Lovumbo isn't starting? Is it fitness? Because I think it, it's it blows just... it blows my mind. Oh man, I, I don't know to be honest. When you play once a week you should totally be starting, but then you never know, man. Lovumbo's the type of player who's because of his play style, he struggles a lot. He gets whacked, man. He gets yeah. kicked. He uses a lot of energy to drive forward and dribbling. You know, you know, exhausting dribbling is and running into space. Of course, man. It's so tiring, man. Like like, you know, one run. From the halfway line to to the box, your average man will be out of breath and like whistling, like wheezing, gasping absolutely, for air. Yeah, absolutely. These guys are are incredible. Like, so uh-huh. yes, I think it's a it's an issue with fitness, to be honest with you. Potentially, yeah, yeah, because it would be absurd. He's clearly the 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 only player in their team that is capable of changing a match, yeah. turning yeah. the tide of the match. Chelsea have allegedly set um, their asking fee for Romelu Lukaku at 39 million thoughts. They don't afford him, Roma. They don't afford him, right? They don't afford him. No one, no, one, no one has the money to pay for this guy. He's a luxury signing for 39 million. At his age, no one's going to sign him for 39 million. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like he's going to end up going from one club to the next. In Italy, Juve it's, it's Juve. I don't even think Juve for due to their assets. They, they don't have Champions League football or European football at all. They didn't get anything. They own their own season. stadium though, and they've yes. got plenty of assets. Sure, but uh, they only afford them enough love, which kind of exchange. Yeah, exactly. It would have to be a man for man kind of deal like that mm-hmm. for for anyone to to acquire. Look, it's up. such a shame because I I wish that this guy could just call Rome home because it, it it's working for him there. It is, um, it is so far. We'll, we'll fast forward. Um, I, I can't wait to listen back to this episode in two years' time and see what the man has done to <laughs> screw his relationship with Mourinho yeah. because that, that will happen. But sometimes Mourinho just gets on with players and meets their families and stuff when yeah. these controversial guys like... He can be the best, he can be the worst. Exactly. Um, I must say Lukaku looks uh, as powerful as ever. He's so hard to muscle off the ball right now and he seems unplayable. Um, at the moment, he's totally on form and it turns out Mourinho is the type of manager he needed. Yeah, yeah. He needs someone to be hard on him because it seems like the second you give him respect, then, then he's capable of, of screwing the relationship yeah. up. But it's it's working so well for him at at, yeah. at Roma. Did you see the uh, moment between Mourinho and that youth player? I believe it was D'Alessio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he talked about not letting the kids through the gates at training, right? That's beautiful. And D'Alessio was one of the kids once and he told Mourinho the story and then Mourinho let them in and they made the kids happy. And now D'Alessio went from being one of those kids shouting to be let into the training facilities to actually playing um, for Roma. So that's that's a beautiful story. D'Alessio, you're living it, bro. Living the dream. Living it. He looked so bashful, actually. He was bro, like, grazie, mister. He, he is, you could see his lips doing that thing like when a kid's about the theory to cry. The theory, the theory, literally, but in a sad way. Yeah. Well, in a very overwhelmed and grateful mm-hmm. way. 
Yeah. Um, Cagliari are still searching for their first say, uh, victory, while Roma's free starting 11 seems to finally be ticking and um, they're playing some pretty good football. Granted, it was against possibly one of the the worst sides in the league right now, but yeah. you know, a win is a win and a 4-1 victory away from home will do anyone a whole lot of confidence, will we'll give anyone a confidence boost. Yeah, I just want to point out Paredes. Yes. Um, I said when he signed for Roma, and, and I said this during our, our Fanta auction, and everyone called me stupid. <laughs> I said Paredes would be good under Mourinho. And he, I think he's showing that. I think he's been solid over the past few games. He's been getting minutes. And Bove Paredes Awar, despite like you looking at that tree and, and thinking it's not great, it has been working. I'd be interested to see it against maybe one of the top seven teams of the other six. Um, but but so far it's looking it's looking quite solid. There's some good balance over there. Yeah. This is the type of game and that that can change your season because it's the type of game where you might have created new protagonists. Mm-hmm. It's a confidence boost for Karsdorp, Awar, Spinazzola got an assist. Lukaku got two goals. Belotti got some goals. You know, he, he, he got a great goal. Um, yeah, it's just going to make these guys believe even more in themselves. Yeah. When it comes to the table, while I buy me, myself some time, um, Roma currently sit quite low down the table, actually, in 10th with 11 points, while Cagliari sit in 20th with two points. Dead lost. 11 the next game we're going to be covering is Lecce 1, Sassuolo 1. Lecce were coming off a 4-0 home loss to Napoli. Whereas Sassuolo were coming off a 1-0 home loss to Monza. Lecce have lost each of their last seven games against teams from Emilia-Romagna by an aggregate of 9-18. The last Lecce win against these teams in the top flight was in February 2020, which was a 2-1 victory against Spal at Via del Mare. Lecce had the likes of Banda, Blin and Castro Dermaco out injured while Sassuolo had Alvarez and Henrique out. Um, it was a 4-3-3 formation for Lecce with Falcone in goal and the backline of Jean-Dre, Pongracic, Baschirotto and Gallo with Raffia, Ramadani and Kaba in the midfield, Strefezza and Anquist flanking Kristovic. There's a 4-2-3-1 for Sassuolo, uh, Dionisi Sassuolo, with Consigli in goal and the backline of Pedersen, Ehrlich, Ferrari and Vinya, Boloka and Racic were in the midfield. It's either Racic or Rakic or Racic or Rakic. Um, Berardi out on the right, Lauriante out on the left. Castillejo as an attacking midfielder with Pinamonti up front. I just wonder if Dionisi has ever watched Castillejo play. <laughs> In the 12th minute, Strefezza attempted a looping half volley from just outside the area, which was expertly saved by an outstretched Consigli. He'll be thinking of that one in the showers later, as he's lightheaded following an intense left-handed shower wank, as his right is spared the tedious task of bringing the 36-year-old to climax, particularly after its involvement in that save. Okay, this this one's for the OG listeners, bro. You're going to have to explain this. Yeah, we had a theory when Consiglio was performing really well two, three years ago and he was never called up for the Italian national team and there were some 
questionable um, call-ups for Italy's goalkeepers. And our theory is is that Consigli must be weird in the dressing room and no one wants him there. And we think he wanks in the showers. Matthew thinks he wanks in the showers. He wanks in the showers. Um, looks the type <laughs> as well. So... There you go. In the 17th minute, Pongracic got a crucial block to deny Racic's goal, um, which was a certain goal, but Pongracic really put, put himself in harm's way over there to deny that. In the 22nd minute, Berardi made it 1-0 for Sassuolo. Who else? And it was from the penalty spot this time. Berardi makes no mistake from the spot, sending Falcone the wrong way. The penalty was awarded after a corner kick struck the arm of Baschirotto. It was a soft call. Very uh, short distance between the initial contact and the handball, which was very minimal. Don't think it would have been given in the Champions League. Don't think it would have been given in the Prem, but Serie A, baby. Made in Italy. In the 38th minute, Gallo delivered an inch-perfect cross to Kristovic, who quite literally threw the defender to the ground before smacking his header into the post. He should have done much better. It was a free header, um, although it might have gotten cancelled had that gotten in because... Wow, he literally threw him on the floor. He threw him. He threw him. There's no other other explanation. On the stroke of half-time, Angvist fucked Vinya for pace and got into a goal-scoring position, but his shot was denied well by the strong forearm of Consigli. In the 48th minute, Kristovic got an equaliser for Lecce. It was Trefezza's corner that found Baskerotto, who headed into the path of Kristovic, who was uh, right in front of goal, controlling with his right and finishing off with his left. Baskerotto atones for giving away the penalty, while Kristovic atones for his earlier miss. In the 73rd minute, Strefezza's crossed free kick should have been nailed in by two Lecce players, particularly Pongarcic, who totally missed the ball, I won't give him too much stick though, as he had a great moment earlier blocking Berardi's strike, among other moments, and he's been a fantastic defender for Lecce over here. Um, in fact, let's start off by that talking point, um, addressing Pongracic and how he didn't get many an opportunity last year. He was out injured for a while, um, and there was a certain Umtiti starting alongside uh, Baskerotto as a centre back partnership. Pongracic has come in and he showed us that he's a very modern centre-back and a very solid modern centre-back at that. I know you're a big fan of him, so I just want to get your, your opinion on him on air. I mean, another player from the youth system of Bayern Munich. Um, he was a player who... with. with he is a player with European experience and he was brought in at the same time as Umtiti. Now, Umtiti formed a formidable partnership with Baskirata last season and Pongratic was struggling with injuries, so we didn't see much of him. But he has since stepped up to fill the void that Umtiti has left behind and he's doing it brilliantly. Yeah. I think he's a leader back there. He's a commander. He's still only 26 years old. And I think the future is so bright for, for Pongracic. And, and I think he's a coup for any of the big teams right now. Yeah, he, he's a horse as, <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. He, he <laughs> I always thought he was like a normal person. <laughs> did, you, did you ever see that, that, that um, TikTok of whose horse is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just a random horse somewhere, and there's dead silence. So the horse is just chilling there, and it's clearly like an Irish person filming it for like 15 seconds without saying anything. And then he suddenly just goes, "Whose horse is that?" <laughs> and why? I'm sorry. Why has Pongra Shakespeare reminded you of this video, brother? 
whose horse is that? <laughs> he's Lecce's horse. My point is he he really inserts himself. You could see him charging forward when Lecce are attacking. And you really see him charging yeah. back when Lecce need to defend. My point is he's a very modern centre-back. Think yeah. of those attacking-minded centre-backs um, who charge forward and charge back. I really think Pongracic inserts himself in, in defensive yeah. and offensive areas. Because he's also capable of playing as a right-back or a left-back. So he's quite actually, he's quite good on the ball. You know, He's mm. comfortable on the ball. Much like horses. <coughs> Much um, like your odd horse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there's also Kristovic, uh, which is quite a talking point. He's had great scoring form. Um, he's continued his impressive scoring form, netting his fourth goal in seven Serie A appearances. Um, his ability to find the back of the net from close range highlighted his poacher's instinct and his positional awareness. How good do you think he is um, among the best strikers in Serie A at the moment? I don't want to get too carried away about Kristovic, but he clearly has been. Lecce didn't have a solid striker last year. They had they had Colombo and Cisse who were rotating with each other and, and both of them kind of failed to cement their, their starting spot over there. Um, and finally, they seem like they have their guy. And I think he's, he's, he's good. I think he's very yeah. good. He's not particularly large. He's six foot one, right? Kristovic. He isn't particularly fast. He is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic poacher. Mm. And he's the type of player that you need to really be careful if you're a defender and he's in the box around you because he knows where the space is and he's going to attack it to perfection every time. And he's got a bit of fight in him, so he's not going to be afraid to, uh, as you saw, be a bit aggressive with defenders, maybe, you know, stepping on them a little bit, pulling their shirts a little bit, that type of that type of play. He's played seven games this season so far and scored four goals. I think he's, at the moment, he stands statistically as a top striker. Do I think he's a top striker in Italy? Not right now, but at the mm. age of 23, the future is very bright. Yes. Um, and I just hope he doesn't make the jump too early on in his career. Exactly. Yeah. Be, be patient. Christovic, yeah, should I looks, call you Christovic? Yeah, they're already calling him Christovic, Jesu oh. Christo. Um, and fans of Lecture are dressing up as Jesus Christ with the Christovic kit. Uh, it's it's actually quite funny. Oh, yeah. Man, football is brilliant. Um, I, I would uh, say that Strefezza is still the man for Lecce. In this game, it was his creativity yeah. that really put the put um put Lecce in, in goal scoring opportunities, both from dead ball situations. Um kind of reminds me of Insigne, both due to his size and, and the way he he cuts inside and releases those early crosses, particularly to the far post, um looking for someone to, to slide in and square the ball into the middle. Um he's still the guy for yeah. Lecce. Yeah. Would you agree? He's he's very good. Um, funnily enough, though, as as the guy, he doesn't feature as regularly as some of the others. I would say that the guy for Lecce would be Bascherotto or, or Pongracic, right now, to be honest with you. Bascherotto's had a mixed season so far. He's, yeah. he's, I, I think uh, he got sent off and, and gave away a penalty. Um, he got sent off a couple of match days ago and he gave away a penalty in this match. However... You still can't fault a lot of his defending. You still can't fault the way he inserts himself um, in those set-piece situations. When you're looking for a noggin to ping the ball to, he's always there. Yeah. Uh, and he's very dangerous over there, which is why I would have picked him up on, on Fantacalcio, for example. Um, but that's covering Lecce a little bit. I, I do think that this game, um, quite a slow 
cagey affair. You're looking at two very e- equal sides this season. Due to Lecce having a, a good start, I would mm-hmm. say it was quite a like two equal teams. Um, however, the second half was of a very, very, very high tempo, end-to-end stuff in mm-hmm. this game and a significant midfield battle. Um, Lecce came out with this greater intensity and a sense of urgency, naturally because they needed to get that equaliser. Um, evident in their quick equaliser, but both teams pushed for a winning goal in the later stages, resulting in an, a very exciting end-to-end contest over here. I think this game was under the radar due to obviously all of these things yeah, that yeah. happened in this match day, but this was a great game, man. Yeah, and I do think to a certain extent Lecce deserved it, deserved to mm-hmm. go away with it because Sassuolo had only one shot on target and that was their goal. Mm-hmm. Well, Lecce actually did have that Kristovic clear-cut opportunity. Mm-hmm. for example and some other nice um, passages of play as well yeah interesting again just to see Castillejo being played as an attacking midfielder Do you does think... he have the physicality to ah, and, and, and like he's a player that needs space around him because uh-huh. he isn't exactly blessed with like close ball control but he's rather someone that you know he needs his space and, and, and he'll just try and knock the ball around you and, and, and go for a sprint or try link up with a one-two He's not exactly a, a, a great passer, yeah, his a great vision forward isn't passer, a not a very direct player. Yeah. It, it'll be, I, I can't imagine him succeeding. I have, I have an issue with his vision in this position because he, yeah. there was an instance where he entered the box and he had a player overlapping on his right and he didn't even look up, he didn't even notice him. He was just ball watching the entire time and he went for a shot and then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you need to be very, very, very intelligent to play as a Tracuartista. Yeah. But interesting stuff in this game. Um, like I said, stylistically, very, very interesting match over here. Sassuolo currently find themselves in 12th place on 10 points. West Dutcher find themselves in 9th on 12 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Monza 3, Salernitana nil. This win marked Monza's fifth consecutive positive result, while Salernitana, on the other hand, were led by Paolo Sosa on his 100th Serie appearances. Appearance. They lost 3-0 and he has since been sacked. He criticized Salernitana for missing too many chances, um, when in reality I think their defense seems to be quite problematic mm. over here. But let's get into what happened this game. It was a 3-4-2-1 for Monza with Di Gregorio and goal, the ever-impressive, incredible, underrated lion of a goalkeeper, Di Gregorio. Um, D'Ambrosio, Mari and Calderola were at the back with Churi out on the right and Kyriakopoulos out on the left with Pessina and Gagliardini as a midfield double pivot. Seeing Samuele Vignato and Andrea Colpani playing behind Milan Loni, Lorenzo Colombo. For Salernitana, it was a 3-4-2-1 formation with Ochoa in goal, Pirola, Gyomber and Danilo Lich at the back with Matsoki, Legowski, Bohinen and Castanos in midfield with Cabral and Kandreva playing behind Bulaye Dia. The scoring action began early as Andrea Colpani found the net in the ninth minute with his fourth goal of the season. He showcased his skills with a precise diagonal shot that left goalkeeper Ochoa with no chance um, after twisting and turning around a few players. Monza continued to press and in the 18th minute Samuele Vignato extended their lead by neatly finishing a play set up by Gagliardini on his first ever start for Monza. The first half proceeded at a slow pace due to the heat, with Monza maintaining control. Salernitana struggled to mount a response, and in the 21st minute, Di Gregorio made a crucial save on Kandreva's diagonal 
rocket. Yeah. The first half ended with Salernitana's fans voicing their frustration as they whistled their team. Not like the Salernitana faithful. No, no. The second half saw Sousa making three substitutions for Salernitana in an attempt to change the game's dynamic. Despite these changes, Salernitana remained an effective, unable to challenge Monza significantly. Monza's defense held firm. Salernitana did have an opportunity when Dia broke free, but his shot was saved by Di Gregorio onto the crossbar and the ball bounced on the line. Thanks to goal line technology, it was concluded that it was not a goal. However, it was Monza who had several opportunities to extend their lead. In the 73rd minute, Bondo's shot was saved by Di Gregorio and Candreva's rocket, once again, was slipped onto the crossbar. The match was ultimately put beyond doubt when a penalty was awarded to Monza in the 80th minute, which Matteo Pessina converted. Colombo's shot was saved by Ochoa and Gagliardini's bicycle kick struck the crossbar at the end of the game. Yeah, action-packed. I love this Monza side. They are fabulous. They are aggressive. They're stylish. They're tactically drilled. They're expressive in their place. Samuele Vignato over here just driving and, and dribbling like, like with so much confidence. You can tell these guys play for Paladino. Paladino gives them so much confidence. And I can't be happier for Lorenzo Colombo. This is a yep. great place for him to go out on loan. Colombo's been coached by some decent coaches over the years and has been um, has had successful loan spells um, in the past so it's good for him to be in a in a good environment to grow again and you can see that this is a healthy side to be in because even the likes of Kyriakopoulos who seem to have plateaued in his career has found a new lease of life yeah. and even D'Ambrosio is playing very well over mm-hmm. It's so, good because you typically see players going out on loan in teams that haven't got their shit together. Teams like Lecce last season who struggled in the latter stages, for example, and it was hard for Colombo to really insert himself because no one was inserting himself. But in this in this side, there's a there's a system around it. There's a manager with a vision. There's a team with a goal, a project, an ambition, and you're seeing him at, at the heart of something great. You've got Pessina, Gagliardini, you've got Vignato, you've got Colpani, you've got Churia. Di Gregori on goal got a fantastic team to send a player yeah, out on loan yeah, yeah. he's an asset to them as well naturally definitely um, Salernitano on the other hand it is true to Sousa's point that um, they are very wasteful however they do have certain gaps in defence that have not been addressed and they have been smashed too many times and a 3-0 loss to Monza is in fact um, unacceptable yeah, it's the cherry on top of the cake in, in the most negative sense possible. Everything the in my analogy. The straw that broke the camel's back. The straw that broke the camel's back. That's beautiful, bro. Thanks, bro. Fucking hell. Um, but, but uh-huh. my thing is, so naturally after such a slow start, it, it's natural to see Salernitana acting quick. And I say that especially because every time they've had a reaction, two years ago bringing in Nicola. Last year, bringing in Sousa, we've always seen them get better after they change their manager. Mm-hmm. The question is, is Pipponzaghi the guy? I guess we'll have <laughs> to fucking wait and see, man. I can't, I can't understand the logic behind it. I don't know. I don't think Sousa was the problem over here, but we'll have to wait and see how Pipponzaghi does. Let's hope that finally he can have a good season in Serie A. Yeah. For Salernitana, they sit in 19th with three points, while Monza sit in 7th with 12 points. A manager is often scapegoated because you can't change your 11 players, but you can change the one manager. And that's exactly what Salernitana did and can do over here. Next game we're going to be covering is Frozenone 2, Verona 1. Frozenone were coming off a 2-0 home loss 
Um, sorry, away loss to Roma, wise Verona were coming off and in away draw to Torino. Coming into this game, Frosnone had won four out of six previous encounters against Hellas Verona in Serie A and Serie B. Both teams had surprising had a surprisingly good start to the season and sat at mid-table, but also had numerous absentees. The, host, the hosts missed Kyle George, uh, Harui, Jelly and Kalaj. Uh, but gave Reinier his debut after a loan move from Real Madrid. Hellas made the trip without Hien, Doig, Cabal, Mbula and Braff, whilst Davidovic was not fully fit either. Um, the referee in this match was Mario, or sorry, Mari, Maria Sole Ferreri Caputi, Jesus, what a name, who made her debut in Serie A refereeing Sassuolo versus Salernitana back in 2022, becoming the first female referee taking charge of a Serie A match. Lineups Frosinone lined up in a 4-3-3 formation with Torati in goal and the backline of Marquezza, Ocoli, Monterisi and Oyono. Uh, a midfield three of Garitano, Berencea and Mazzitelli with Rainier and Sule flanking Shedira. It was a 3-4-1-2 for Verona with Montepo in goal and the backline of Magnani, Coppola and Amione. Terracciano's out on the right, Lazovic on the left, Dudan, Folorunsho behind Suslov um, and Ingonj and Saponara up front. Saponara up front, I love it. The first half saw a great performance by Juventus' Loni Sule, who was running rampant and made three chances out of nothing through his drive, dribbling and sight of goal. He got close from a free kick and even hit the post moments later. Our patron and friend Matthias, who you would have often heard discussing Empoli on our episodes, compared his style of play to Berardi and I couldn't agree more. In the 46th minute, still in the first half, Reinier opened the scoring. The Real Madrid Loni netted his first Serie A goal on his debut for the club as he slotted into an empty net following Tredira striking the near post. In the 52nd minute, Terracciano headed just wide following a delicious trademark cross by Ricky Saponara. In the 60th minute, Sule was once again denied by the post, this time following an incredible no-look pass from what I believe was Berenchea, it was hard to tell. I think Sule could have done better from there. In the 66th minute, Sule, uh, Sule's moment finally came as he netted in a header following a Marti- uh, Marquezza cross from out wide. And in the 94th minute, Juric pulled one back from Verona um, as he headed in a cross by Chachua. Um, Rainier opened the scoring. Um, exciting stuff, Real Madrid Loney. The girls love him. Um, good to see him off the mark. Not a very impressive goal, but he did have a good game. I mean, he scored on his debut. Great game for him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Frosinone were incredible. They continued to impress, um, blowing another, say, a big dog out of the water over here. And what more can I say than... Exactly, man. And and they have such a youthful approach. Their strategy of relying on young talents such as Rainer and Sule is really paying off. And they had three players born in the 2000s with at least one goal in Serie A, indicating a focus on youth development. Um, Coach Di Francesco's gradual integration of these talents without the pressure of immediate performance contributed to their success. He's doing God's work. He's doing God's work. There isn't a single player in the starting 11, 11 over the age of 30. My Can you believe it? Gracious. The goalkeeper is 22 years old. Oyono 22, Montrizi 21, Okoli 22, Marquitza 25, Mazzitelli 27, Berinchea 22, Garretano 29, Sule 20, Kedira 25, 69. Rainer 21. Fantastic. Um, they are so young and typically this is the type of team that finishes dead last in the league yeah. and gets relegated and pundits sit here and say, ah, it's because they don't have enough, say, uh, experience. 
Mm. Well, what's your excuse for these guys doing so well then? How do you explain it, man? They, exactly. they are well drilled and Di Francesco has a new lease of life and he has been absolutely fantastic with Frosinone. Let's hope they can keep it up. Yes, they really made Verona struggle over here. They have struggled with scoring goals. They managed a late goal through a Jurich header, which was nothing to be impressed by because at that point, you put Jurich in the middle and you cross to him as much as you can. Verona have taken a bit of a dip since their fantastic start. They now find themselves in 16th place on eight points. Interesting that they've only conceded eight goals, which puts them in the top five for least goals conceded this season. Whilst... Frozen on and find themselves in 8th place on 12 points. Impressive stuff. The next game I'm going to briefly address over here as we're tight for time is Empoli nil, Udinese nil. Now, Udinese lined up with Silvestri in goal, Kristen Simbiol and Perez at the back with Kamara, Pereira, Wallace, Samard, Zitrin, Abosele in the midfield with Lorenzo, Luca and Thuvan up front. Silvestri looks good with his haircut. Yes, for Empoli it was Berisha in goal, Abuehi, Ismaili, Luperto and Kakauchi at the back with Marin, Gracia and Male in the middle, Baldanzi and Cancellieri playing behind Caputo. Now, this game, basically, in a nutshell, to sum it all up, was a sequence of missed Samardzic opportunities in the huh. first half. He missed about four opportunities over there, I swear to God. It was um, quite shambolic by him. He should have definitely done better. When in the second half, Empoli grew into the game and um, missed a few opportunities of their own. It was quite a... Uh, <laughs> A wasteful game of football, to be honest with you. There was a Caputo um, eventually scored, but it was ruled offside. Jazzy came on and missed a few opportunities, oh. as always. Of course, Baldanzi had a few attempts. Cambiaghi missed narrowly at the end. Um, I would say Empoli deserved to win this, and they look they definitely look, look much better under Adria Zoli. And I must say that Sotil's job is in peril over here, because if you look at the statistics of Udinese this match day in comparison to the other 19 teams in Serie A, um, they were dead lost in everything. Accurate uh -huh. passes, distance covered, everything, they were dead lost. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, there's something definitely wrong with them uh -huh. at the moment. I think this game kind of highlights the, the problem of both sides, which is scoring goals. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, as simple right. as that. If you can't score goals, you can't win football matches. Yeah. And these two teams have a lot to learn when it comes to scoring goals. Perhaps some of their personnel doesn't help. Yeah, totally. Um, one player that impressed me this game was Tyrone Ebuehi, who absolutely destroyed Kamara out on the right-hand side. Uh, he had a very good game over there. Thank you very much, guys, for tuning into another episode. Um, naturally, there's the international break next week, so we will be seeing you the week after. Thank you very much, guys. We love you. Love you so much. Ah! <laughs>